podcast. What is beautiful, my glorious, lovely people? My God-given name is Rich Roll. Once again, I'm here joined in Vulcan mind meld with my sine wave sibling, Adam Skolnick, waterman, writer, lover, not my lover, just a lover in general. So far. How's it going? Yeah, so far. We'll yeah. see. Our relationship is <laughs> we'll developing. See. If you're going to put it that way, then you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, how are you? I'm good, man. Before we get into all of that, though, let's just do the prefatory stuff. All right. uh, for those of you who are new, Roll On is the special limited edition version of the show where Adam and I prognosticate on matters contemporaneous, matters current, confounding, complex, self-evident non-obvious, obvious. We typically buttress all of that with a bit of other shit you should know. We share a few wins of the week. We round it all out with some listener questions that we answer. Uh, if you're interested in that, throwing your hat in that ring, you can leave us a voicemail at 424-235-4626. With that out of the way, Adam, how are you? I am really good. Life is good. Uh, no complaints. Wait, I shouldn't, I'm not supposed to you start wore a jacket. that way. A gentleman always wears a jacket to podcast. I'm I not only wearing a jacket, I'm wearing tie-dye because I just got off my yeah. shift at Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I know it's a it's a it's a conundrum. Your yeah. your uh, contrast it's confusing. You've got the formal jacket, but then the hippie. Well, that's t-shirt. my thing. I am a walking contrast in styles. That's right. what I'm going for. That, that is, that, that's the intention behind all of this. Well, you know how everyone's like just when you think you've got a grip on Adam. It, yeah, it's just like everyone is going with like the cool, like understated tie-dye, the new tie-dye. I went with the audacious, like Old Ben and Jerry's tie-dye. Fish. That's where I'm going. Fish, exactly. Yes. Fish with a P. Fish meets, uh, I don't know what, Brooks Brothers, Wall Street. What's going on? Yeah, it's like if Something Trey like Anastasio that. did take Got that job. Got a job at a venture Did take fund. that job instead of pursuing <laughs> yeah. his life's passion. But still was holding on. <laughs> To that sensibility. If, if fish only became like a bar band <laughs> in like the in the East Village. Right. Well they yeah. all like yeah, while well, they worked Wall Street jobs during the day. Yeah, I think they, they they chose the right career I the think career so. path. I think Tra- so. Trey Anastasio uh shout out. Who would have right. it? I think that's the second time his name has come up. But when did it come up? Maybe with Jess Leahy. I can't mm. remember. His name came up previously. I, I once saw a fish show at a gym in Vermont mm. in like 91. That was the first time. Wow. It, and so it was pretty early days for them. Um, and then they became, of course, you know, the second yeah. biggest jam band ever. When I was in law school in upstate New York, it was all about fish, like 92 to 94. Yep. Um, Started growing. Big time fish community, upstate. Great band. Uh, we're talking about music later in the show. We are. So we're already getting into the bands. I know. But let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this 
heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking Ons high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. 
They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful. And recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Tell me about what's been going on with your latest swimming escapades. Oh, yes. I. Uh, that, by the way, Hank Wise wants to get all up in your kitchen and involved with. Hank Wise. He left I, us a voicemail. We did. He, we left us We're not going to answer his question today, but I appreciate that Hank reached out. Old, I do too. Old friend of mine. And I appreciate that he was um, he was giving me my permission to wear my own mask. It's exactly correct. Um, and and he wants to go for a swim, and I'd love it, man. But he was talking about great white sharks if mm. later in that voicemail. Um, and so basically, I I don't know if you saw on, if people who follow me on Instagram, um, I posted the second time now I've been out with Carlos G, the Malibu artist, at uh, where one of my swim spots, not the one I go to to dive, but just an open water swim spot, which has been known. It's also a surf spot and it's kind of known to have uh, a kind of a shark nursery offshore. Um, well, he has been there now twice, two weeks in a row. The first week he flew, when we were in the water, he saw a shark, but we were about getting out of the water. This mm -hmm. time there was, you know, there was a 10 foot white shark 30 to 50 feet from me while I was swimming. Yeah. And uh, the funny part of that is he has a whole protocol. So if, if if you're swimming and all of a sudden you hear the drone zoom by your head and then it's hovering and then you stop and you look and it's hovering above the water, there's a shark right beneath He's, it. That's his signal for get out That's now. his signal. It's not a get out now because in this case, the shark was between me and the beach. <laughs> that's not good. That is... That's not good. <laughs> and the best part was he was flying right near the stand-up paddler who had no idea what was going on. So the stand-up paddler is all of a sudden trying to swat the drone away. <laughs> not really, but like he's like annoyed so by the drone. were you at Zuma? Where was it? No, this was Temescal. So uh, the shark, you know, the, the, there is a storm drain just south of the Bel Air Bay Club. Mm -hmm. And that's where the shark was. So wow. I had been swimming and I just started to do some... Um, intervals and so you know i'm splashier because i'm trying to go faster at least the way i do it it's splashier and uh and all of a sudden i i see the drone i hear the drone i see the drone and i'm like splashier is not a good idea right now yeah so i just stopped for like a minute and watched, and then i thought and then that he shot the drone up which is his signal that he's lost the shark and he's looking for it again and i just thought okay well i'm here to swim with him and the reason is i know it sounds stupid and even me when i saw the drone hovering there i thought okay, this was a, a cute idea, but now it's real. And, um, and, you know, but why am I doing it? And the reason I'm doing it and the reason I've always been okay to do it is because 
these sharks have been there. It's not like he just, it's not like they're there because we're there. They've been there. Or all of a sudden they showed up. Right. They've been there all along. Just our, our ability to detect them right. has improved. Right. And so they've been there and there is no, as far as I've researched, no history of attacks in that area. Mm -hmm. They're not looking for us. There are dolphins that come by. They're looking for them. There are sea lions, not in that spot, but there are dolphins. And, you know, so I've always known that. And so my feeling is, that they are not interested in us. That's the point of what Carlos is doing. I mean, yes, there's a danger there, but what he's doing is not what Shark Week does, which is to sensationalize a lot of stuff. And, oh, you might get attacked. You might, you know, even those guys involved in Shark Week love sharks and they're not, they're not trying, they're, they wanna push a shark conservation narrative. And he does too. And so his, you know, what he's doing is raising awareness that they're there. And it's not like you shouldn't be mindful of it. He's not suggesting that, but he is, but he is showing that the odds are low that you're going to have a problem, I mean, extremely low. Mm. I mean, if you think about how many people are in the water and how close they are on a regular basis. He did a, a drive up the coast from Malibu to Ventura, and he saw over 20 in one day. Wow. Right off, right behind the waves. Right. So this I mean, is not a new phenomenon. Right, but still, that may be his intention, but when yes. you see the image, it is, you know, you have a, a you know, a, a very kind of like guttural physical reaction to it because that <laughs> fucking shark was big. It was I big. mean, it was legit <laughs> and it was not that far away from you. No. And so I just don't know how you get back in the water and swim relaxed. Like you can do it and rationalize it and say, they're not interested in us, they're yes. offshore, maybe he's there, maybe he's not. Is this an enjoyable exercise for you? Because for me, yeah. I just start getting preoccupied with that and it's very difficult for me to just enjoy myself and, and kind of let go. Well, I was gonna, I'm gonna do, because I, I posted it in stories, I'm gonna do a proper post and talk about it. But um, so my feeling is when I was in the water, yes, I was with you. I was all of a sudden I was, my, my antenna was up and I wasn't so relaxed, but I, my heart rate didn't really spike or anything either. And I will go back to that spot mm -hmm. and swim and because I'm just not that worried about it, about getting hurt. And so, people should know like yeah. to Mescal, this is the beach that extends from the Palisades to Santa Monica. It's a pretty trafficked beach yeah. where the Beller, you know, Bay Club, like all of these like beach clubs are along there. Like right. there's a lot of people, the, the sand is very wide there. Yeah. But you know, it's there's Will a lot Rogers of people beach. in the ocean in yeah. that area. It's not an obscure hidden beach no, by I any mean, stretch of the imagination. The sunset surf break is right there. It's probably the busiest surf break in right. the entire LA County, I would it's think. Maybe Topanga. Yeah, that or Topanga. Yeah. And um and they don't know, they're not they're not familiar with how, how many are right there. Um, you know, we saw one time April and I were driving back from Malibu and we were driving right along that that where the the highway comes right up abo uh, above the kind of rocky ledge mm -hmm. that leads down to that surf spot. And we saw a white shark. I saw a splash. She'd seen the white shark breach. And this time, um, while we were getting ready, I was getting suited up. He said he saw a white shark breach. He was certain of it. I didn't actually see the splash. So I was mm -hmm. facing him. Um, and so I knew going in that there was a shark there. So it's not like I didn't know. And um, so I knew going in, but I still had a very relaxed opening part of the swim. When I saw the drone, I'm not gonna lie, obviously, I did feel like, you know, like nobody wants to so be the guy the, on YouTube. So if the shark was between you and the beach, how did you get back to land? So I continued my swim, which is, you know, I, t I tend to swim three to 400 yards offshore. So my first part of the swim is to go out. 
Mm-hmm. And then I go along the coast and then there is a buoy off of the Bel Air Bay club that if I'm just going to do like an 1800 yard swim, that's kind of what I do. And that's like a, you know, 35 minute swim. And I swim around that buoy and I came back, but this time I swam around that buoy and I came back outside <laughs> because right. I didn't How did you be know right. that you weren't going to just run right into the shark? Well, I wear a mask for a reason, Rich. <laughs> Um, I didn't know. Uh, you never know. I didn't um, bring up the mask, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I didn't know. But I came. You know, I, I just kept my eyes open, and mm. I just decided to, to, you know, at that point, I decided to relax. Um, I've been doing it a while. I've been swimming in the ocean very regularly since 2012. Uh, I've been in the water with big animals before. I think I've gotten to a point where I am not over it completely. I don't think you ever get over the fact that sometime it's good. That boogeyman's going to just flash in your mind and you're going to mm-hmm. remember you're in the, you're part of the food chain right now. And there's nothing really you can do about that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, for the most part, it's kind of out of me now. So I don't feel it. Like when I show up at the beach, I don't get nervous. I don't, I don't think about it on a regular basis. All right. So um, I don't know, but nobody we'll wants see. to be the guy that gets eaten by a shark on YouTube. I can assure you. No, nobody <laughs> wants that. And you know, after that big speech, now all eyes on Adam. If something should befall you. Yes. Meanwhile, somebody's jackhammering out here. Mm. I don't know where that's coming from. I hope that's not too distracting. But suddenly we have like crazy uh, construction happening right outside our door. Yes. Uh, anyway, um, tell me about this uh, thing with Lewis Pugh. Lewis Pugh, Hall of Fame, open water swimmer, um, known mainly for his swims in Antarctica. He's the first to swim in a riverine, yeah. like uh, in a glacial melt. In He's a legend. He I mean, is a straight up. Legend. We've talked about him before, we haven't have. we? Yeah. We have. When he did the, Antarct- the most recent mm-hmm. Antarctica right. trip, I think we talked about it. Um, he was planning uh, and is planning to swim the the width of a fjord, the mouth of a fjord in Greenland to raise awareness. Because what he does is he does these incredible open water swims in freezing water, and he uses it as a platform to then try to push for um, nations to to align and change mm-hmm. uh, to solve the cr- climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was the plan was to be in Greenland with him in August and do a story on his swim there and then his attempt to bring it to Glasgow to the UN climate conference and to motivate uh, other countries to mm-hmm. get on board and start to fix these problems. Because as we know, we have wildfires, we have, I mean, it, it, every day you can find climate crisis news, sure. whether it's called that or not. Um, on July 27th, uh, there was a melt in Greenland, which is not the biggest they've ever had, but enough to have covered all of Florida in two inches of water. That's right. how much ice melted in one day. It, it's the third biggest, I think, ever, or uh, one of the top mm-hmm. three. Anyway, we were going to go do that. Now his swim is in jeopardy because the Delta virus has gotten into Greenland. Uh, Greenland did really well in their initial phases of the virus. They didn't have many cases. They haven't had any deaths, but they only have 12 ventilators in the entire country and Delta Mm -hmm. is already there. So they shut down commercial flights from Reykjavik, which is the best way to get there. Um, They make it, it's very hard to get in there right now. So it's unlikely that I will go. I'm hoping he still can go and do it, um, but I'm waiting to hear. And if, yeah. if I can make it, I'll be there. Not um, for the times, right? Who is no, this, this was, for? This is gonna be a long reads. It's like a long mm-hmm. deep dive story on Lewis and, and his attempts to you know move the needle in Russia and, and China, mainly Russia. He's connected to um, a Senator there, uh, Sergei Fedosov, who is a, a hockey legend. 
Mm. And so they've become buddies and, and um, trying to push Russia, who, who tends to be one of the people, dra one of the countries dragging their feet. Russia and China have vetoes on a lot of this stuff and they drag their feet on a lot of climate issues. Um, and they don't necessarily vote it down, but they don't vote yes. And so mm -hmm. you need a consensus on a lot of these issues. So he's pushing um, countries all over the world. He's lobbying them. But Russia, if he can get Russia to move in that direction, it'd be so huge. So, um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. He's been doing this for a long time. Yep. And there's nothing like, you know, performing a swim in these crazy freezing waters to unite, you know, opinion around the issues and create consensus because who's not going to celebrate you know something like the things that 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 he goes out and does and and he's you know, extremely that, eloquent yeah he's yeah, like yeah. I, I don't know is he a is he a former lawyer he's he sort of conducts himself like a he's much more of like a statesman than, yeah. than an athlete like he's an environmentalist first and foremost yeah. he's an activist yeah um, but he's about consensus building and kind of creating um creating, you know, policy change at the highest level and you know, not just sort of waving a flag and no. making a stink, but actually getting parties together yeah. to produce he's, results. He's Al Gore that swims. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, I should yeah. have a much easier way of saying yeah. it in certain certain respects. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um well I hope that ha I mean, first of all, I hope that he's able to do it. Second yeah. of all, I hope that that you could find a way to Get there and cover it. I mean, if they're they're not letting people into Greenland. How many people live in Greenland? They not are letting many. so they're letting like a thousand people a week in, mm. which is are there more than that many people that want to get into yeah, Greenland? Yeah, because it's the every summer week? season. It's like people go like it's like there's cruise, you know, there's mm. like there's also there's a whole business and there's people that live there. But apparently, all those flights are booked and they're out of Copenhagen. So I've been, you know, I I'm waiting for him to. He was going to try to charter a flight, get approval for a charter to come in from Reykjavik, but he did not get mm -hmm. approved for that, mm. or at least not yet. And the clock is ticking because after September 12th, it's extremely unsafe for him to swim there. So there's Got like a, a, a time where the air temp is gonna get so cold that he wouldn't be able to recover after a swim. And the way this swim is gonna go, it's gonna be about a kilometer swim each day. Um, and then he gets out and then he starts again the next day. So it's not a straight channel mm. swim because he's in a Speedo and a swim right. cap and it's 37 degree water. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, all that ice they talked about that melted, it's going right into that ocean. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, yeah. cool. More to be revealed on that show. Yeah. How are you, man? Doing okay. I'm a little, uh, I'm spaced out, man. I'm having trouble with my brain forming thoughts. So if I, if I blank out, it's all on you to carry this podcast. I, I'm essentially kind of a little overworked. Mm. Um, trying to get the next uh, volume of voicing change done while also balancing everything uh, with respect to the show, going out of town tomorrow um, to Colorado for a wedding. So trying to get everything tied up before I leave and yep. Julie's already gone. So dealing with kids. So I'm a little, I'm a little frayed at the edges <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> not uh, maybe not my best self today, but uh, uh, I'm doing okay. But I'm coming in to this podcast a little bit fast and loose. I feel like last time we did three hours yes. and the outline was very laden and I felt very um, wed to the outline. And today I'm like, I don't have time for this. Let's just come into this and, and see what happens. Yeah, jettison Maybe stuff. it's better anyway. Yeah. Just be more present rather than like staring at an outline. Yes. Um, not that we don't have some idea of what we wanna talk about. Um, we're outline we're guys, plenty. we're not pantsers. <laughs> we're not gonna read, <laughs> not reciting scripts. Um, I did wanna mention, this is curious and interesting. Okay. 
the reaction to to last week's podcast with Bruce Friedrich, at least on Instagram mm-hmm. in the comments below my Instagram mm-hmm. post was like out of control. Mm. Like I don't, they're almost, I don't know how, 280, maybe 300 comments below okay. the post just saying, this is, you know, here's Bruce. He's been, this is, a, first of all, it's the third time he's been on the show. Right. So these are not new, this is not new terrain, um, but people had a lot of strong opinions about it. There's a certain sector of the community that felt like, I have betrayed my roots that I should be talking about whole food plant-based diet and getting people back in sync with nature and you know uh, talking about organic and non-pesticide and how can we live within uh, you know the kind of cycles uh, the circadian rhythm of the planet mm. how can we you know we should be focusing more on regenerative ag and repairing our soil instead of all of these new cultivated meat products that are being called frankenfoods that are filled with chemical chemical laden was a big kind of phrase that got thrown around and i just think that well, do we know I take that all your chemical points. laden no, I mean, I think just because it's like, oh, this is synthetic. big food and they're synthetic. making synthetic Franken right, food. Right, and right, like, right. what is this? We should be repairing our soils. Of course we should be repairing our soils. Yes. This is not an either or situation. It's not a binary issue. No. Basically, yes, we need to pivot towards more regenerative agriculture and away from factory farming and animal agriculture. We need to repair our soils. We should be eating organic. We should be finding, you know, better ways to, you know, to grow food out of the land and make that accessible and convenient for everybody. At the same time, we're dealing with environmental problems and sustainability issues and um, issues around, like compassion, basically right. the suffering of animals. Right, right, and right. there's a gigantic swath of the global population that essentially uh, is subsisting on a fast food diet. They're going to drive throughs and they're eating the cheapest food possible. So the whole cultivated meat thing and the innovations that are happening in plant-based meats, et cetera, this is not being directed at people that are already converted to a whole food plant-based diet or who are all about regenerative ag or who are growing their foods. This is oriented towards creating uh, an accessible, cost-effective, convenient solution that has a better ecological footprint and is more compassionate than the current options available to those people. So we need all of these solutions. Mm. We need people looking at how we can, you know, create more nutritious food with less resources. We need to figure out how to pivot away from animal agriculture. We need to do all of the, we all solutions are needed. And yes. so I just thought the the kind of dialogue or debate that was going on in the comments there, it's fine, you know, have at it everybody. But, you know, just to be clear, just because I had Bruce on doesn't mean that I no longer believe in these other things. Right. Like I've had, you know, all I do is talk about eating a plant-based diet or pivoting people towards more nutrition, you know, nutritionally dense foods and all of the like. So just because I have a conversation with somebody on doesn't mean that I now am disavowing, uh, you know, the other people that I've had on the show. Right. It's a conversation. It's interesting. This is happening. It's actually happening in the world. So people, and they, let's and talk they about want it. Go, Help they, me to understand it. And all these these comments are from people that clearly didn't listen to the podcast because all of the things that they're concerned about, I raised and we addressed. Right. 
So anyway, well, it does affect me. I really should like post and ghost and not pay attention to this stuff at all. Like right. I have this tension because I want to be engaged in the community, right? And I do care what people think. Is this one landing for people? Is it not? Um, but ultimately, like maybe we'd all be better off if I just turned the comments off no. or you know figured out a way to not look at them at all because it just you know you don't want to turn it off because the engagement is. Is, is it helpful worthwhile. to anybody? Is it? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, we get to- Does anybody read, you know, get into the comments of anything on YouTube or Instagram and go, my life is now better as a result of- <laughs> Every other day I go on your Instagram site and I try to pick a fight. Do you? Good. <laughs> How's that going for you? <laughs> that, I was pro Friedrich. It's pretty easy to do that. You can get into a fight without even trying to get into a fight. I have four ghost accounts, so I can oh, be pro Friedrich. Now I know what's really going on. <laughs> okay. Um. You know, uh, I think it's good to, we need to, in general, be able to have discussions with people and about things that we don't agree with. And if, right. if, if we can't do that, we will never advance. And, well, what's funny yeah. is that people say to me, why do you have, all, you have all these people on that you agree with? Why don't you have people on that you disagree with? Okay, well, within reason, like I don't need to have somebody on my platform that I completely disagree with and I, I don't feel, you know, merits that level of attention. Right, right, right. Um, but then when I do have somebody on, like Bruce, like I have concerns about cultivated, like, what is this? Like, how right. is this gonna impact? You know, like I have legitimate concerns about that. So I have somebody on who I, I agree with a lot of what he has to say. I have concerns about other things. And then I get criticized for having somebody on who doesn't align completely, perfectly, 100% with my values or the values of the listener. Right. So what do you, what do you really want other people that, that have different points of view, or do you want to tune in and just hear somebody regurgitate like your worldview over and over and over again to affirm what you already believe? I think, I think both of those things, but mostly yeah. it's the it's the silo. You know, that's the problem with being siloed in. So I I what my point was is kudos to you for inviting someone on, and the reason you invited him on on your platform is because you know he's got um, his point of view is this could be this could benefit everybody. Sure. It's not just this will benefit me. And, and listen, if you're going to you got if you're going to solve problems at scale, there's compromises with that. You need to work within the system. You got to get Tyson, you got to get Cargill, you got to get these huge companies interested in this. Well, this is why I was this is why I'm interested in Paul Hawken and aquaculture and and the 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 benefits of aquaculture. That's why I'm not you know, when we had our seaspiracy debate, mm -hmm. that's what I, this exact same place I was coming from is like, you know, we do have to think there are other people eating and they're not necessarily all going to be down with the diet that, that, mm -hmm. right. you know, you're choosing or I choose most of the time. You're not going to solve the world's problems by browbeating people into changing their personal habits. Right. And if, and, and so you have to be able to feed those habits to some degree because, and you can, you can move them. You can, it's like. But you need to meet them with an alternative right. that is just as convenient, just as cost-effective, exactly. tastes just as good, is as nutritionally valuable yeah. and created with a lower, you know, footprint and all the like. All that. Right? Yes. But I don't know. I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole. I mean, the point is, I think this, the other point I want to make is that comment sections, you know, on yeah. social media sites are not necessarily a proxy for the true, you know, audience temperature on a certain thing. It's just, you know, people have strong opinions, they want to voice them and, you know, whether that, it, you know, truly reflects the majority take on that podcast, I think if you start to align those things, you're going down some dark alleys. Hmm. 
Mm. Anyway. There you have it. I just, I'm trying to give myself my own therapy on this. Yes, I, and the good news is you're going to tell your ride. <laughs> I am. So, yeah, you know. For a couple of days to get some fresh air. Yeah. Um, all right, let's pivot. What do we want to talk about? Enduro Corner. Yeah, this is this is Colorado. This is where you're headed. Well, we could just follow up on on two things that we talked about last yep. time. We've been uh, keeping you up to speed on Robbie Ballinger's Colorado Crush. Uh, for those that are new, he's in the midst of this summer long quest to conquer a variety of ultra challenges that include the Leadville Marathon. He then ran the Colorado Trail, which is 500 miles. He did the Silver Rush 50 back in Leadville. Now he's in the latter stages of of summiting all 58 of the Colorado peaks that are over 14,000 feet called 14ers. I mean, he's done 33 as of yesterday. We're recording this on Monday. So, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, 25 more or what have you. And then he's gonna <laughs> rock it out with the Leadville 100 to complete the whole thing at, at, in, on August 21st. So seemingly having no issues and just out there every day taking cool photographs of, you know, climbing all these mountains. I so know. good for him r- driving around in a, you know, one of those like sprinter vans. Is he sleeping in the van? I think so. I think they got it all kitted out. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. It's amazing. Um, which well, is cool. He's living it, man. He's he on is. the mission. I mean, I don't know much more to say other than that, you know, he's done 33 and he's, you know, continuing to kill it. Um, but we do have an update on Timothy Olson. Since we last spoke, he completed the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, the FKT was achieved, fastest known time. Mm-hmm. He crushed it. Uh, the previous record was was Carol Sabe. I think that's how you pronounce that from Belgium in 2016. He did it in 52 days, eight hours and 25 minutes. Timmy did it in 51 days, 16 hours and 55 minutes. So wow. by a decent margin. Hour, by, by about 16 hours yeah. or a little less. We're talking about 2,653 <laughs> miles with 40,000 feet of elevation gain. He's running 51.3 miles a day on average for seven weeks straight. I mean, given all that, like that is, he did crush the record. Anytime you beat a record by hours, it's amazing. But at the same time, it's like, it was narrow enough to where like any one problem could have trashed it. Derailed it. it. Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah, yeah. If he had one significant problem, yeah, 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 it would have jeopardized the whole thing. Yeah, No small feat, my friend. Congratulations. You, you should come back on the show and tell us about it. Yeah. I know there was some improvisations due to trail closures and the like, where they had to like, you know, figure out how to jockey around certain sections that were closed and get to a different, st- I don't know exactly. The because details of like of that. Uh, yeah. wildfires. Right, which I think is why, that might be why the kind of official F, I keep saying FTK, it's FKT. Yeah. I make that mistake a million times. Um, I don't know because if it's, of F, if it's because sort of, of been, FTP or because of FTP, FT, I don't know. F- yeah, STP, Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots. <laughs> it's because of STP. Maybe it's because of that. Um, so I don't know if it's official. I don't know what makes it official. Maybe it's pending right now, right. but I think it will be official. Meanwhile, his wife's eight months pregnant. You know, it's been this spiritual journey for him. I mean, Timmy's a very soulful guy. I think part of it was processing, you know, the the kind of grief that they shared over two miscarriages that they suffered through. Mm. Um, but Timmy, that amazing, was one hell of a baby moon, bro. I know, no kidding. Yeah, right? you've redefined the man, mm. the man baby moon. His coach is uh, Jason Coop, who I know a little bit. I met Jason when I helped crew for Dean Karnazes at Badwater because mm. Jason uh, helps coach Dean. And Jason's a great 
you know, he's just a great resource for wisdom uh, when it comes to endurance training. And he wrote a really cool kind of blog post with his takeaways from Timmy's performance because he, he coaches Timmy as well. Uh, and I'll link that up in, in the show notes. Beautiful. Yeah, man. What else and you got? Saif Syed, uh, our friend that we met in Utah during mm. the Iron Cowboy final days. He's the uh, PhD student in AI, right? That had yep. never run a marathon and showed up and just started banking marathons he, he, on the he, daily. He moved from Texas where he was studying to Utah in his buddy's guest room and started showing up every day. And then yeah. he, he went the, back home, didn't he? He's not <laughs> he's still back, hanging out no, in Utah. No, he's back in he? Texas. <laughs> and he his goal was after that, he was inspired to do a 50 miler on his birthday, which he did accomplish. Uh-huh. So kudos, kudos, Saif. Cool. And on that note, um, I think we officially have a date for the Iron Cowboy coming on the podcast. Oh, beautiful. He's going to come down here. I don't remember when. Not not right away. It's going to be a little bit. I think he's going to come with Sonny too. So it'll be both of them. Spectacular. Podcast, which should be cool. Um, he, he reached out when I posted the shark video, the shark photo. Oh, he did? What did he say? <laughs> he said, is that real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You got to post that again before this goes up because I, I think post. that was in a story or you were just Stories. posting, you were posting, what's posted, his name, at the Malibu artist? The, the, at the Malibu artist, Carlos G, right. at his post, I shared that story. So I will post properly. Cool. Um, all right, well, let's take a quick break yep. and we'll be right back with Shit You Should Know. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. The big story today 
We're gonna talk about the Olympics. Yeah. It's on everybody's mind. And we're gonna attack it from the perspective of mental health. And yes. we were joking on the break. Adam said, I want what you want, Rich. And I said, you have a boundary problem. I, well, That's a yes. mental health issue. I'm a, I'm a people you can't, pleaser. You can't, yeah. So am I, yes. I understand that. Yes. Uh, but ultimately that's a path towards unhappiness and misery. Maybe. If you, you think you're being, what you do is you delude yourself into thinking you're such a good dude. Like I'm such a good guy because I don't really care what I want. I just want everyone else to be happy. Oh. And when you sublimate your needs or your wants or you're repressing them, then ultimately you're just, you know, kind of creating a situation where you're, Going to develop some resentments. Got it. I don't fully sublimate. I don't want to. <laughs> I, know I don't, don't. want to paint the picture that I don't. But you do are it very easygoing. Uh, yes, and yeah. when I can, I like to not think. Like for me, we're going to get into the mental health story. We should probably set the table, but we all know what we're going to talk about. Uh, for me, though, what I was trying to say was, um, I don't overly analyze my emotions. Mm -hmm. I try not to. So yeah. I'm more on the stoicist side of things when you come to that. Like to me, like it doesn't help my process to dive deep into my own emotions because I actually think emotions are often liars. Now that's not, now we're gonna get into the Simone Biles topic. You know, obviously uh, winner of 30 combined Olympic and world championships medals, best uh, gymnast of all time. Sure. If, it's, if it's not her, it's Nadia. So it's one or two, right? It's probably her. And um, she was in the final, the, the team was in the finals and she had a bad vault and then she left the competition. And, and because it's so rare to see an all time great step back from a competition in the finals with a gold medal on the line, mm -hmm. it, it inspired a whole wave of, of analysis. Right. And um, one of those, the, what she was saying is that it wasn't right for her mental health to continue. That was the initial statement. And, you know, she had to protect herself and she, you know, uh, stepped back and let one of the other girls step in and they got a silver medal, which is, you know, still Victoria's outcome. Um, but because, because it's so rare to see it and because we are all conditioned for the stoicist idea of champions, mm -hmm. um, originally there was this big outcry of, you know, I've never seen someone quit on that stage, blah, blah, blah. And then there was the backlash to that. No, she's doing the right thing. She's, she's taking a claim for mental health. Um, and so it became this kind of weirdly unmoderated debate mm -hmm. and the subject of many a think piece. Um, and so where did you, where, where were you when all this was going on? Well, what were you thinking about all this? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and what's also fascinating about it is that it became a partisan issue. Yeah. Like everything else, it right. became politicized. Right. And your perspective on what, you know, Simone Biles decided to do, uh, your perspective on that had to reflect your political ideology. It did right? seem to a lot, you know, like me personally, when I first saw it, the first thing I thought is I've never seen an all time great do that. So then mm -hmm. I start thinking, cause I'm a skeptical journalist. So I start thinking, was she gonna lose anyway? And she didn't wanna lose. This is a way to lose that without losing. That's where I first went. This is not a judgment on her. This is just where my thought process mm -hmm. was. And then I thought, um, so I thought that, then I thought I do like it when, you know, yeah, I did feel like she has a team. It's not just an individual thing that she's stepping back from. That's one thing. She does have a team that's relying on her. She's the leader of the team. So I did fall into that category, even though politically it doesn't seem like that should be the place that I line up. That was the first place I did go to um, before kind of taking a step back and letting it settle. And what kind of convinced me 
to think of it differently was when it came, she posted that she actually has what they call the twisties, I mm -hmm. guess, in gymnastics. Twisties. She uh, had the yips. She couldn't land. Yeah. If you can't land, you can't so, land. So yeah, the the way she described it is yep. you lose your sense of like space and time. So yep. you're in the middle of like a vault and you're in the middle of the air and you don't know which way is up and which way is down. Yeah. And this got played out in those early, I think, was it a vault or there was some attempt where um, she intended to do, I don't know what it was, like a two and a half, two and a half twist or yep. whatever and only did one or one and a half yep. and landed kind of off kilter. That was clear indication like there was something going on here. And and I agree. I think that original kind of knee-jerk sentiment is sort of a boomer adjacent sentiment, like us being older, right? Yes, like, yes. what do you mean you're gonna not you're gonna opt out? Right, like right. the very definition of a champion is the person who perseveres, perseveres yeah, who yeah. demonstrates the grit. And when their back is against the wall and everything's stacked against them, they they move forward nonetheless and either prevail or don't. Yeah. That's the conventional wisdom here. And I think what what complicates the Simone Biles situation is a couple things. First of all, when you're dealing with gymnastics, you're dealing with um, very dire physical consequences if things go wrong. It's not just, hey, you know, I'm not gonna run this race because I'm not feeling it. It's like, if I land wrong, I could land on my neck. I could sure. paralyze myself. Yes. Um, and I think second to that, there is, um, there is truth in that she was opting out for the best interest of the team, because if she wasn't gonna be able to perform to her abilities, then is that really in the interest of the team's quest to win a team medal, right? Yeah. Would, would, that, would that be better filled by somebody else? So there was a self-sacrifice aspect to it. And I think, look, you know, greatest of all time, 30 combined Olympic and world, you know, world championship medals. This is not somebody, this is not like a, a wilting flower. <laughs> like this is somebody who has a champion mindset mm. who knows themselves as well as anybody. The level of like self-integration that you would have to have to perform, you know, these routines that she does, it's just, it's mind blowing. So this is not somebody who is scared of, you know, obstacles or difficulties. So when this person says, look, I need a break, it's not like there's a history of Simone saying that. Right. This is new, so we should take it seriously. It should be a benefit Who of the doubt. Who do you think wanted thing. to win the gold medal more than her? Nobody. Tucker Carlson. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Tucker Carlson wanted it so for her I more than her. I love like you know yeah. Q Pierce Morgan, you yeah, know, who yeah. always has. He was the first. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, come yeah. on, dude. Like yeah. all the people's who had the hot take of, you know, you're, you're wimping out are all couch potatoes. Yes. Nobody who's well-versed in elite performance had that perspective. Everybody from Michael Gervais to, you know, I, I, I found a couple links like David Epstein, who's been on the show, wrote in his range report, yeah. a whole thing about this. Brad Stolberg wrote yeah. an article for Outside. Lindsey Krauss, wrote a couple opinion pieces, yeah. one of which quotes Steve Magnus, who's Brad Stolberg's writing partner, who's also been on, all these people have been on the pod, they all kind of have the same perspective, which is like, look, this is, it gets confusing because the celebration of what she did, I think should be about the fact that an athlete is taking greater control of their life and not allowing their decisions to be dictated by teams or organizations, rather than we're celebrating the fact that she's opting out. For See, the that, sake that's of the problem the, because it politicized, and we can get into that in a little bit because I have a TED talk I'd like to unleash yes. upon you. Um, but uh, 
because of that, the way it played out, there was this whole uh, set that wanted to make her a hero out of it. Mm-hmm. And and what the she lionization did, yeah, of doing like, the, the of like of like doing the the taking the e, the quote unquote easy way out the backlash right. to the backlash to the right. thing that just begun yes. had become become she's a hero because she uh, opted out right. um, quit however you want to say it uh, because she and took that care is of a weird thing health. for for fifty something year old guys like that's a narrative I'm not used to. It's, it's, first of all, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's like, this was a personal choice she made because she had her own calculus. And part of that calculus has to be the fact that the U.S. Gymnastics is, has been a corrupt organization that included child, like yeah, a convicted she child molester. Abuse. She was abused by Larry Nassar, the doctor. Mm-hmm. She's one of the survivors. There were, you know what, dozens of girls that were, um, that were abused by this man who's now in prison. And there, and you know, the day that she stepped back from uh, doing that routine on the, the, that day, five years earlier, she actually went to Indianapolis for an event to benefit US gymnastics. And the guy that was showing around Indianapolis, uh, according to this report in the Washington Post by Sally Jenkins, great analysis, which really changed, started to mm-hmm. change the way I looked at this. It, to me, it's, it's the one story that felt like it had true insight into, into some of the backstory of what was going on. And that, that person knew about Nasser and the gymnastics, organization knew about Nasser, mm-hmm. but didn't tell the gymnasts about Nasser. And in fact, let them, let that still continue. And so uh, that happened five years to the day. And, you know, one of the reasons she came back, she said this to an NBC reporter, Hoda, uh, Hoda, I forget her, I can't. Uh, Hoda, all you need to know is Hoda. Hoda on today's show. Um, she uh, said that, you know, if there weren't a remaining survivor in the sport, they would have brushed everything aside and probably had these same athletes still training at the Caroli Ranch mm-hmm. in Texas. Um, you know, she came back at 24, which is an advanced age in gymnastics, as we all know. And she did that at, to to help change the sport. Yeah. Um, and so to, it, when you put all of that in, into the pot and you stir it up, um, you understand these demons are real. It's it like that had to be part of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, should I sacrifice myself right now? Like for who? And that had to be part of it. And that, that doesn't necessarily make it eat, make it an open, open and shut case because as of this taping, she is going to compete on the balance beam. She's going back out for one last uh, routine. Um, so she is going to do that in an individual balance beam, but it had to be part of the situation that led to this sure. yes. Yeah, July 27 yeah. being this day, you know, in 2015, as you mentioned, that was the date. Six years ago, yes. Yeah, six years ago, she was at USAG headquarters in Indianapolis for a bunch of promotional appearances um, and being accompanied uh, by, you know, this guy who was well aware of what was going on and was working with an FBI agent to like sweep it under the rug right. and promise that that FBI agent would get some job with the IOC or something right. like that. I mean, this Washington Post article is pretty incredible. Yeah, so it's incredible stuff. We'll link that up um, in the show notes. But yeah, it provides a much greater, more in-depth context for what's actually going on. And when you think about Simone's career, now being an elder statesman, which is hard to believe because she's so young yeah. and the care that she you know, undertakes to like mentor all of these younger athletes, particularly um, you know, athletes of color, yeah. uh, which is so important to her, compounded by this idea of being an elder statesman who links the legacy of Nasser to the current state of affairs. Like that's a, that's a lot to shoulder. Yeah. And twisties, it's not her first time. No. 
When was it? There was some other incident a couple of years ago where she had twisties. It took her a couple of weeks to get over it. So and twisties it's like are, this real are you thing. lose track of your body position. I right? guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. guess. I mean, I'd never heard of it before. No. Um, but when you really evaluate it, you know, and contextualize the whole thing, it's like she made the right decision for herself and for the team. And it's ballsy as fuck that she would make that decision, given a great awareness and understanding of the consequences, knowing it's gonna be this big controversial thing, mm -hmm. knowing that it's gonna cause a media cycle and a media frenzy. Um, but I think it takes a lot of gumption and guts to know what's best for you, make that decision irrespective of what the reaction is gonna be and do it for the interest of the long-term as opposed to the short-term gains that you might have reaped by making a different decision, right? There are all these case studies of other gymnasts over the years who were pushed, 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 and were competing with stress fractures mm -hmm. and broken feet and mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff and get the gold and then you never see them again. Yeah. So what are we really talking about? What's more important here? Like getting the gold medal at this Olympiad or you know, Simone being able to compete for another four years and, and be healthy. And more importantly, who gets to make this decision? Historically, it's the teams or it's the IOC or it's the USOC. And here we have Simone standing on the shoulders of Naomi Osaka and what she did you know, last month or whenever it was to say like, I don't have to be a pawn. I'm not you know, a, a pony here to dance for you when you wish. Like I have sovereignty over myself and my career and I'm going to put my foot down and say, I'm not competing. It's not right for me. Mm. And they should have the right to make that decision. And we should respect and support that. It's true. I, I, I separate, I know everyone wants to, to, to bunch Simone and Naomi together as like, it I, is, I, there is a qualitative at, difference. I look doing at them press very versus competing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One is doing press. One literally can't land in mm -hmm. her sport. One, it's not like Naomi all of a sudden can't make a serve. But what unites them is this idea Play, of the athlete taking control. Yeah. You know, athlete and doing it in the face of all these other pressures. Like as a young nobody woman. like how dare you judge Simone? You don't know what's going on in her right. head. You can't imagine the pressure that she's shouldering or, or her interior experience of being in Tokyo and everything that's going on around her with the whole world focused on her. That's right. I think the Brad Stilberg article for Outside to me also was another one to, to really highlight. Um, you know, the David Epstein one's great too. It talks about a, a gold medalist in mm -hmm. the bobsled who yeah. had then had to deal with figuring out what, what you know, how to, what's my next act? Who am I now? Which Simone referenced, you know, after this mental health. Yeah, thing, and it all she, goes you know, to like, this is a conversation, sorry, I didn't mean to no, step on okay. your words, but this is a conversation that we've been having on the show for a long time that started with the weight of gold in the Michael Phelps documentary and this growing awareness around, the reality of you know the mental interior experience of the elite athlete and kind of pulling covers on that and helping people to understand that these are human beings. And Ber Burkle, you know? I mean, yeah, Burkle, Burkle was the first probably sure. first person on your podcast that brought this particular mm -hmm. conversation up, right? I mean, is yeah, that I mean, right? I've yeah, had yeah. and we've had you know yeah. Alexi Pappas has yeah. talked. To, we've yeah. had we've had tons of people yeah. talking about this, and so yeah. then, uh, but Brad's 
article uh, talks about this concept of heroic individualism, which is, you know, that's why we worship athletes. And he's like, his, his point was that there's a, there's an innate problem with worshiping the athlete. Mm -hmm. And that is that you're buying into heroic individualism, which is a game of one upmanship against yourself and others. And everyone has that in, in Western society is his argument. Um, it's, it's, it's basically baked into Western society. I know as a, a writer, I feel it, you know, I feel mm -hmm. that for real. I feel it in myself when I'm working on something, I feel it uh, in competition, even with friends and, you know, I feel it and that that's, I don't feel good about it. Like it's not mm -hmm. a positive experience no. and you, you feel like you feel it, you don't want to really buy into it, but it's there. Um, and so his point was, you know, she made the right choice, but sometimes the right choice would be to persevere through it. So he, yeah. he, his is a much more nuanced situation. And he looks at kind of the, the, the science on, on depression and, and these mental health issues. He's, his is not the, you know, she's a, she's a hero for not doing it or she's a quitter. She, he's not in that camp at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between, it's like, if you're used to use running as an example, mm. It's the difference between my legs are really heavy and super tired today and I don't feel like running versus there's a sharp pain in my knee. Like what is a what is a good pain and what is a bad pain? Right. What is what is something to pay attention to that's going to you know that wherein the right thing to do is to stop and go no further versus when is this just, you know, a difficulty that could be overcome through tenacity, grit, perseverance. But that's hard to know when it's a splinter but in your mind. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. But when you're an athlete at that level, you know the difference, Right. trust me. Right. You know, it's not like, oh, she's weak of will. Like, no. it, there's just, I just don't, I don't buy into that. But I, the point is well taken, like yeah. I get that. Yeah, no, but she- and I, But I think the fact that people just jump to this idea that she was being, you know, fearful or lazy I think is absurd. Yeah, like, well, I jumped to that conclusion that she was more like not used to losing and therefore mm -hmm. wanted to lose on her terms and trying to control right. it. That's or where like, my, here's a convenient way to not lose. Right. You just opt out. Right, so right. I actually did think that until I, and I didn't know about the, cause she she didn't tell everybody. She mm -hmm. showed on her own stories, her her attempting to land on the parallel bars and she was well, landing the, the face down in the press. The initial press release was very brief. It was yeah. like, she's, she's um, pulling out, it's not due to a physical injury. So it was like, well, then what is it? And that, that also makes you wonder who put that out? Who in that mm -hmm. organization put that out? And why'd they put it out that way? And like, like, could they have taken care of her a bit more in that statement or did that mm -hmm. come from her camp? Like all these things you, you, you wonder after know. reading that yeah, Sally Jenkins know. story. Yeah, you don't uh, But to me, like the biggest reveal of all this is not necessarily her mental state and what she's got to do for herself. Because I think when it comes down to it, you're hundred percent right especially Simone Biles deserves the benefit of the doubt, especially an all-time great. If you're gonna worship athletes, yeah. then you have to give an all-time great the benefit of the doubt. And like, if that's what this person needs, then that's what that person needs. Does that make her a hero? Not necessarily, but it, it makes her human. And so that, that's the point. And right? that's yeah. the tension, right? Yeah. Like yeah. we don't want our, our heroes to be human. right? And this is a conversation about recognizing the inherent humanity in the elite athlete. But also the Olympics is, there is something to be gained from and something to be said for like holding people up a little bit higher as benchmarks to, you know, kind of drive our own aspirations. Like I want heroes. Yeah, right. So that, that, so that, that, that I mean, heroes aren't yes. cut out characters. No. Like I have to appreciate that they're actually human and they're flawed, but 
I think we all benefit when we celebrate people who do amazing things. I agree, and that's part of what makes your pro, your podcast such such a, a must listen is because you're bringing in unknown heroes a lot, or maybe sometimes it is a known hero, or even just yeah, you know. Yeah. But to, but to if you if you let one of those heroes talk for two hours, you're going to understand and appreciate the the humanity. Exactly, and, that, and they will and probably how. tell you what their weaknesses are, or how, you know their insecurities, and, or what have and you. And they'll make it seem you possible know. for you to be your own hero, which mm-hmm. is the whole point, right? Like but in I the think, end, yeah. But the yeah. idea with Simone that because she's this great champion, she is disempowered from making those kinds of decisions for herself is wrong. Like you can't opt out, you're our hero. You're, right. the, you're the world champion, you're not supposed to do this. So I, I am projecting onto you a set of rules that you must adhere to in order to remain the hero in my mind. Yeah, And that's fucked up. It is fucked up. And the other fucked up thing is that here we are human beings, social creatures who have become social media creatures, right? And that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about in the Bo Burnham, you know, yeah, quote. The backlash that, to the backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun. Exactly. Like the six, six media cycles within the first five hours of the story. And it's like, and, and until we actually heard about the twisties a couple of days later when she posted it, nobody actually knew why she quit. Yeah. Like no one knew like mm-hmm. on the- But uh, that doesn't stop everybody from having their take or opinion or Pierce Morgan from getting up and bloviating. And then Discord feeds Discord because yes, Pierce Morgan and people on the right had that take, but on the left, we do it too. I mean, the left rails against criminal justice system and harsh sentences, unless it's the cop that murdered George Floyd. The mm-hmm. right loves right. cops, wants to make love to the constitution, unless we're talking about the 2020 election and insurrectionists right. on January 6th. I mean, exactly. it's everything. Pers- well, it's just what's politically expedient. Yeah, personal- The narrative bends to, bends to the, you know, the, the political ambition. Exactly. And it, you know, personal freedom for trans people is good. Personal freedom for anti-maskers, not good, or vice versa. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like one side stakes out of position, the other screams and yells. And on the left, you better scream and well, yell exactly the right way. Because yeah. if you don't- <laughs> If you're just a little bit out of step, you're gonna get You're gonna buried. be torched. And, and we need a new culture. You know, we need, not only do we not wanna buy into heroic individualism, we need to replace this me, 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 me with we over me. And if that starts with conversations, uh, you know, the favorite, my favorite moment of the Olympics so far are the two high jumpers from Qatar and Italy mm. who, who, were, who had both tied and they were given an opportunity. Do you wanna do a jump off? And one of you will be the true Olympic champion and, or do you wanna sh- share a gold medal? And they, you know, they shared the gold medal, they hugged and kissed and it was beautiful. And right. it's like, it's like- People love that and that's great. And that makes me feel good too. Yeah. But also back to the stoic kind of response, like, <laughs> If you are the gladiator, yes, do you yes. do you accept that? You say no. We will we will fight to the death to figure out who's better. I think Russell Crowe and Gladiator would have hugged <laughs> Damon Hansu. You think so? <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, their life was on the line. Yeah, the stakes yeah, yeah. were a little bit higher. Higher stakes. Um, I did anyway. love that story. Yeah. Um, that was a good TED talk. Thank you for my TED talk. Are Thank you still? You. Do, are there more points that need to be made? I'm sweating now. <laughs> it was, it was I'm perspiring. Listen, man, it's, I, I, I think it's interesting that this is all coming up in the context of the Olympics because mm. the Olympics is all about, um, well, first of all, it's a globalist agenda, oh, right? Yes. It's globalist by nature. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the original globalist. But is this not the one thing where the world can stop and we can all celebrate together and agree upon, you know, uh, you know celebrating these amazing human beings? Yeah. Apparently not. 
I guess, not. I guess, well, I've never, there hasn't been th this kind of discord in Olympic. Well, I guess there, there always has. is. You're, that's not true. That's not true. 1968. We had 68, we had yeah. the boycott in 80. Yeah, yeah. 84. Um, so it's always, there's been a, a political aspect to all of this, yeah. but I feel like now that's drilled down into, it's, it's becoming even more because of the way that the culture is. The difference is now it's not nations that are having political infighting or, or leaders within, from, from oppressed yeah. groups within a nation. It's, it's individuals over bullshit. It's not like we're not even talking about, uh, you know, black power in 1968 at a, at, at a time when there mm. was incredible uh, oppression over the, and, and they actually risked their gold medals and gave up their gold medals knowing they would do it. Right. We're not talking about uh, 1968. We're talking about a woman, a young woman making a decision for herself and then it becoming a political issue. <laughs> like that was a political issue. I know. This is like, this is, this isn't a political issue. I know. It really isn't. I know. And then it becomes one. So it's yeah. like, it's backwards. And, uh, and you know, I think it's upon, uh, coming upon us to want to like get, getting back to your comments, like listeners, we got to all be willing to have conversations with people who disagree with us. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to, because we're not going to get anywhere in solving big problems unless we're willing to do that. So it's interesting. The Olympics showed us another lesson there, but yeah. that's. You know, um, Simone Manuel, the yeah. swimmer. Yeah. Um, African-American swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> her first name's Simone, right? Yes. So everybody's confusing her with Simone Biles. No. She had to tweet. She had to tweet, I don't do gymnastics. Oh no. <laughs> with like clapping I did not hands. know that. I did not know that. And it has 42,000 likes, that's that tweet <laughs> to clarify like, no, I'm not the gymnast, but I'm also like Olympian. a kick-ass Olympian. Yeah. Anyway. Crazy. Dude. Um, I love the Olympics. I would say that I've, I've watched less of this Olympics than any other Olympics that I've, that I've ever been since I've been alive, simply because I've been too busy, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. We're also, um, I don't have cable TV. Oh no. So I got the Peacock app for our television so I could watch it thinking I'd be able to just stream what everybody else sees and it doesn't work that way. No, NBC is very so I had proprietary. To watch a bunch of, I ended up like experiencing the Olympics through a bunch of clips, which was not ideal. Oh really? Um, but there are a couple Olympic related things that I think we need to talk about beyond Simone. It. The first is what is with this ROC bullshit? What's the ROC? The bullshit? Russian Olympic oh, right. Committee. <laughs> well, so that's, we know basically, what it is. Russia gets banned from the Olympics, right. For all of these doping from situations, your, your, which emanate directly out of Brian Fogel yep. and Icarus yep. and all the work that he's done. Um, but they find this loophole, this end run around the spirit of the law, which allows all these Russian athletes to. Compete, compete as individually as long as they don't play the anthem if they win. Like they can, they can even wear the colors right. on their sweatsuit. So what's the difference? Like who cares if they don't have the flag? It's unbelievable. It's ROC. Like, it's the IOC kind of capitulating. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Well, capitulating to like what is that? What is the what is the real politic there? Because the IOC is just horrifically corrupt right. across the board in in so many ways, and 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 really truly never has had the athlete's best interest at heart. It really is a giant power and money play. Like, I don't even think, I mean, there really wasn't public sentiment for the Olympics to even occur when they right. occurred because of Japan's contentious relationship with COVID. I mean, I think most people would have preferred the Olympics get 
pushed even further. And the IOC, because of these broadcasting contracts and the amount of money that was at play, there's no way they weren't gonna go forward. Also Japan, Japan was out a lot of money too, mm -hmm. if it didn't happen, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they share that, that yeah, burden, yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. But ultimately it was the IOC's call they have like ultimate authority. My favorite part decision. of the IOC is that Japan apparently has come out that they lied about their July weather <laughs> in their bid and the IOC didn't like examine, like just, they just- Let's talk about that because it, it, this is this is like, uh, this is like that Stanley Kubrick movie. Um, what's it called? Why am I, uh, you know, where the, where T. Boone Pickens is riding the atomic bomb out of the- Oh, uh, um, yes. How I learned to love the bomb. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It's like, you think these people are adults and are conducting themselves with some, uh, you know, level of, of, of uh, respectable decorum and you find out like, it's just a banana Republic of corrupt influences. Right. It's like it's like uh, it is. It's like the big the the 1920s still over there. Like like whoever they don't read the report. It's like so. Explain the Japan thing. So apparently J July would. I, I was happy. You, we were even talking about going to Tokyo before mm -hmm. COVID and 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 doing yeah. podcasts from there when we first. Th that was going to be the first thing we collaborated on. We both wanted to go to Japan. I'm happy that the, the Olympics are in Japan. I think it's awesome. But in 1968, when Mexico City got the Olympics, they moved the Olympics to early October, if I remember correctly, late September, early October, because of weather and weather patterns and health and, and healthy air quality. And Japan could have done that. Like it could be in September when it's nice there. Um, it's July, it's late mm -hmm. July when it's like, 95 degrees with 90% humidity. <laughs> and, like, and in their bid, in their bid, in their they bid. characterize the weather as being, you know, sort of balmy and, yeah. and not nearly as, as severe as it actually is in order to secure, secure the contract. Right. And because of the way television works and sports, there's no way that they would have pushed it to the fall because it competes with football. Oh, yeah, back in 68, yeah. that wasn't as much of an issue, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so it's all about it's all about TV, but it's so funny. Then, then the IOC saying they never read the report, or they didn't they didn't really look into it. They didn't vet it enough to it realize. Like, like anybody who's been to Tokyo at, in late July knows that it's unbearable. It's like, would you do the Summer Olympics in Bushwick in August? No, I wouldn't go to that. <laughs> or yeah. maybe July. They do the U.S. Open. When do they do the U.S. Open? Early September. Right. Yeah, that's when you should be doing in the humid areas, yeah. um, the Olympics. What other big athlete stories before we get into uh, the, I mean, the I, there's so many, obviously, you know, me being a swimmer, swimming is what I care about the most yep. and, and what I follow to the extent that, that I was able to, you know, follow much of it. And even then I, I you know, it's, this is the first Olympics where I just really don't have personal relationships with any of, of the athletes or the coaches. Mm. I think maybe one or two of the coaches I've met in passing, but typically like I have friends or people that I know quite well who, who are competing or, or coaching. This year, I really didn't have that connection with, so it made it less, you know, like I'm so busy. It just was like, oh, who are these people? I had to like learn who everyone was. Right. With a few exceptions. I mean, I think, listen, this is the first in in five Olympiads where there's no Lochte or Phelps. Right. Um, I mean, Katie Ledecky is the you know legacy of that era, but you're going into a new, um, it's a new generation of swimmers, and that's talk about a heavy burden to live up to mm. without those guys around. How are you going to 
basically put points up on the board that are gonna make people interested in what you're doing. Like, and with that, you know, Caleb Dressel like showed up five golds, crushed Unbelievable. it. Basically had the ultimate Olympics that you could, you know, ever expect from that guy. And it was just a pleasure watching him swim and set a couple, he set a world record in the hunter fly, right? And also on the four by 100 medley relay. So that was cool. And maybe for crying on the air. <laughs> yeah, he did cry. He was emotional. <laughs> He's very handsome. Leslie Jones yes. has a crush on him. That's important. Who doesn't? How awesome is Leslie Jones in her Olympic commentary? She's hilarious. I know. She's so good. And they tried to like mimic that with Snoop Dogg and, and, and Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart, which I felt was a little canned compared yeah. to her just very authentic. She's like eating snacks, like, like watching television. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah. If you're not onto Leslie Jones and her Olympic commentary, you gotta follow just her. Just go to her Twitter, Twitter like right? Amazing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Caleb Dressel was amazing. Uh, and you know, it's interesting watching Katie Ledecky, like I don't wanna belabor all of this. There's other places where you can get a lot of Olympic feedback, but mm-hmm. you know, I think that back to this issue of mental health in the Olympics, we can't discount the fact that all of these athletes had to weather a COVID year where their training was turned upside down, where you know the predictability of whether they would com- be competing or not was very much in question, like incredibly difficult when you understand that at that level to be, you know, to compete at the highest level, to be that elite, you really have to know like, here's when I'm competing, here's how I'm organizing my schedule to be ready by that time. And when all those dates are in flux, and at least I know in swimming, like pools aren't open, then they're open, but then you have, it's like, there's a lot of question marks. And I think Katie being closer to, you know, a later phase of her career, um, you know, I, I think it took a toll on her performance. I think if mm. the Olympics had, if there had been no coronavirus and the Olympics occurred last summer, I think she would have swept her events and mm. would have been unchallenged. Really? Mm. Um, you know, that's she, just she did get better theory, as it went along, right? Like she, she did, she, yeah. She, there was that, when they got the uh, silver in the relay, mm-hmm. which one was that? The, uh, um, it was the four by 200? Yeah. Wasn't yeah, it four yeah, by 200? Yeah, I think so, I think so. I don't think I watched that race. And they became in silver. So I think she got the silver, she got two silvers and two golds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that in that race, they were far behind. Like they, like when she got into the pool, she was over a body length behind. I thought she was like 10 feet, maybe two body lengths behind. Yeah. And to watch her almost reel them all in, to me, that was one of the coolest swims I saw this entire Olympics. Yeah. I was like you at the beginning, the first four or five days, I wasn't paying any attention. You know, first of all, it's like by the time you turn on the primetime uh, Olympics, you kind of like it, you everything's already happened, and you know, unless you seal yourself off from your phone, you're going to know a lot of the results. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, it's been easier for me to manage that. Like the last two, London and Rio, it's a little bit less of a time zone problem. It's still there, but you can manage it. Yeah. Um, in this case, I was like, the first four or five days, I wasn't paying any attention, but I've slowly been wooed back in, even with no crowds. It is sad watching the track, especially with the pool. You don't see the crowds that much because you're focused on the pool, but the camera angle on the track, it's all the empty seats, right. it is sad. Um, it is. It's not. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But um, seeing Katie Ledecky do that swim, and then afterwards, 
when they were asking her, if this, is this your last, I think that was her last event, is this your last swim? And she's like, I'm not retiring. No, she's, got, she's like, I'll more. be back in four more years, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I loved, and I thought she performed great. Like, it's, again, it goes back to the, you know, this idea of, is, is anything but gold a, a failure? And, you know, maybe. She has a great attitude yeah. too. Always a smile on her face, Amazing. always a hug, always a nice positive thing to say, you know, really just acquits herself with such grace. What a spectacular applause. athlete. I know. Yeah. Little uh, curious aside. So she's from my club team in DC. She grew up in DC. Okay. And she trained when she was in high school at the shitty pool at Georgetown Prep, which is high school, this private high school where our club team rents the pool. Okay. Full time, and that's where I trained all through high school. Look at that, twice a day, and I think they renovated it in the mm -hmm. years because obviously I'm like twice her age or whatever. You guys but, both peed in the um, same pool. We did. We both peed. Yes, <laughs> separated by decade, probably. <laughs> I think the pool was renovated since I was there, but this pool was just a toxic hazard. I mean, it was. <laughs> it would drip like black tar from the ceiling into it, and we would be like. We get cancer. It's probably because we're drinking whatever's dripping out of the ceiling into the water. And it, you would go in there in the morning, and it would just be this cloud of of, of chlorine vapor, mm. you know. And and because we shared it, it was it was belonged to this high school. We couldn't use the locker rooms half the time because their students were. We would like sometimes we could use the football locker rooms and go in there. It's all muddy. But for afternoon workout, we would have to change in the pump room. Like yeah. We couldn't even get, That's it was just nice. dirty and disgusting, mm. but kind of awesome too, that like you like you don't want the super nice pool when you're grinding, right. you know? It's like the original Rocky. Like you want, you want to like, you, you want to be in the, <laughs> in the you know the grimy yeah. gritty you know situation you so that when you, you when you spittoons. when you finally qualify for yeah. that fancy meet and you go to Indianapolis and you see that incredible natatorium right. you're like wow right yeah, but you don't want to train in that fancy place every you're like, day you're like you guys are like the hickory like in so, in Hoosiers you're like the please, team hickory the word they makes me very uncomfortable <laughs> like i should not like i'm just saying i swam in the same pool as her like i don't yes. you know good for Katie she's the all-time goat Unbelievable athlete. Sh shout out GW a, Prep's um, horrible pool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> nice. How about Emma McKeon, Australian uh, yeah. medalist, Win winningest, seven medals. Win winningest female Australian swimmer ever, yep. I think. Yep. Incredible. And I think the winningest, winningest swimmer, I mean, Period. four seven, gold. Seven medals, four medals. gold. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the most very, medals. Very few have, have gotten that. I think, well, Caleb got five gold. And the only other swimmers to do that are Phelps and Mark Spitz and Biondi, Biondi in '88, right in yeah. Seoul. And then Anybody there's a else? speed skater, Eric Hyden. Oh, Eric Hyden, yeah, my all-time, that got it, my all-time hero. Yeah, that guy. Um, also cool to see some new faces. We got Bobby Fink mm -hmm. in the distance races, which he's a guy. He's sort of the converse of Katie. Like he was somebody no one had really knew anything about who really benefited from the extra year to like hone his strength and endurance. And he goes from like unknown to absolute legend being the first American in 37 years to win the 1500. And then also wins the 800, which is cool. Um, Very cool. Little sort of side anecdote with that. Typically it's always been the 1500 meters for the men and the 800 meters for the women. 
There has never been until this Olympiad of 1500 meters for the women because historically it was considered too difficult for women. Women can't swim that far. Women can't swim that far. And the fact that it took until 2021 to rectify that is out of control. Strange thing to think when a woman was one of the first people to swim across the English Channel. Anyway, um, the IOC has been legendary for many, many years. The uh, the last person, <laughs> yeah, the uh, I know, so ahead of the curve. Yeah, you know, they've culturally. always read read things so well. Um, I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about this guy, Michael Andrew. Oh, let's talk about him. Who's to me kind of the most interesting, curious swimmer on the U.S. Olympic team. This is a guy who, I mean, I've been aware of this guy forever because even though he's, how old is he now? He's like 22 or something. He's a pretty young dude. Yeah, he's young. But this is a kid who his entire life has been um, expected to inherit the Phelps um, legacy because when he was a kid, he broke over a hundred national age group records. Like he completely rewrote all the national age group records as he grew up, like basically breaking all of them. Hmm. So more than any other swimmer ever has, more than Michael Phelps. So the obvious expectation is like, this guy's the second coming, right? Right. He's gonna come in and he's gonna crush. Um, And he failed to make the Olympic team in Rio. I think he was like 17 at the time. So that makes him, I don't know, 23 or something like that now, 22. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he makes the team this year and um, ends up on the four by 100 medley relay setting a world record. So he gets a gold medal. Yeah. He doesn't medal in any individual event. And what makes him so curious is the fact that this guy has a very unique original way of training that contravenes all conventional wisdom. So most swimmers swim twice a day. They're putting in anywhere between 12 and 20,000 meters a day, a lot of volume, plus dry lands and, you know, weight room and all kinds of other stuff. He uh, is coached, he's like homeschooled, coached by his dad, managed by his mom, Hmm. grew up in Kansas, swimming in a pool in his backyard, like didn't do the club thing where you go and swim with other people, like just basically was in the backyard with his dad, Right. this single lane pool that he trained in. Now they live in Encinitas, I think in in San Diego, Um, but he's remained kind of homeschooled and under his parents control, control is probably the wrong word, but I mean sort of influence, yeah. Um, And his dad, uh, in conjunction with another coach have developed this thing called USRPT, which okay. stands for um, ultra short race pace training. So whereas most swimmers are training 12 to 20,000 yards or meters a day, he's swimming like 3000 a day, which is nothing. But all of the training is at race pace. So okay. everything is like lung busting, all out efforts, approximate your your race to the extent possible, make the most of that compressed period of time and call it a day. The idea being that most swimmers are putting in all these junk miles. They're just swimming back and forth in the pool. It's not really doing anything for right. them, which is you know very controversial. And it's interesting to think about because on the one hand, look, this guy made the Olympic team. He was won a gold medal in the four by 100 medley relay. He got fourth in the 100 breaststroke. He's still early in his career. Uh, so he's had tremendous success. But basically when I look at this, particularly from an endurance athlete's perspective, I see a guy who 
actually, I think, and I'm not one to judge him, I don't know him, but it would appear to me based upon his race performances that he would benefit by increasing his volume a little bit. Because mm-hmm. if you watch his 200 IM, the guy is like way ahead of world record pace at the 100, at the 150 he's leading. And then he goes 30 plus for the free leg. Like he absolutely falls apart, like mm. in just an epic crash. Yeah. And ends up I fifth. I get reeled in. Yeah, yeah he got, yeah. I mean, he didn't get, yeah. I mean, you, at the Olympics, you rarely see somebody die like that. Right. And I see somebody who has no aerobic base, who can't sustain an effort over 200 meters. And Michael Phelps has commented on this. He basically yeah. said, if you want to do well at the 200 meters, 200 IM, you got to train the 400. Right. I, I don't think Michael, he's a sprinter. The 200 is a stretch for this guy. I'm sure he, you know, would prefer to just do 100 meter races. But if you're going to compete at the highest level in the 200, like you got to, it's even though it's a two minute race, on some level in the context of swimming, there is an endurance component to that. And sure. if you want to tap into a, uh, a greater gear and bring it home, there's just no, um, there's no getting around the fact that you got to put in some volume training to, to do I, that. I thought that you had said before that they stopped doing those 10 to 12,000 yard workout days. Well, it is swimming. much more, I think overall, it is more race specific. Okay. So there is a lot more quality oriented training that goes in. And I've just noticed that from workouts that I've dropped in on where there are some Olympians or like some you know guys that are in their twenties who are training at a high level. Like I've noticed it's a lot different, but still they're training, you know, four hours a day. So it still ends up large, being about 10,000. 3000 meters you can get done in 45 minutes to an hour. Right. If that's all the training you're doing right. in right. the pool a right. day and right. not doing weights either. Super interesting. Mm. And I think, look- He's not doing weights? I would say my era was too much volume. Right. Given that you, 100 butterfly, 49, 47 seconds, you're gonna swim five hours a day. Right. <laughs> like, you know, do you really need that much endurance for that? 200 butterfly, maybe a little bit more, but still I was overtrained completely. Yeah. So I think the pivot to being quality oriented is appropriate, but I still think that you need that volume piece if you wanna be able to um, be dexterous and capable you know, in events from the 100 to the 200. And if you look at runners or you look at cyclists, like every elite competitor is creating an aerobic base and then building upon that. Mm. And the fact that he shirked that, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at it, but I don't know that, I, you know, I really think that he would have benefited particularly in the 200 IM had he approached his training a little bit differently. Phelps kind of called uh, that, he, you know, it would be interesting to see if he can sustain it, he, you know, right. um, on his broadcast. And Michael Phelps has been very good on TV. Incredibly good. Yeah. I mean, he crushed it. He's been doing great. And yeah. his hair looks fabulous. His yes. beard is less fabulous. There's a lot of fans for his beard. His hair looks really good. It, yeah. <laughs> I would kill for yeah. his hair. So yes, yeah. I, but I wouldn't, but you know what? We should bring our beards back in honor of Phelps. He's been Maybe. amazing. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, he, he's got a big career in broadcasting. Fam- I think he couldn't fabulous. have been better. He no. was fantastic. He was. But I still uh, much love for my boy, Rowdy Gaines. <laughs> Nobody gets more excited about the, these races than Rowdy. The NBC played like they had a camera on Rowdy. Yeah, the during, Rowdy cam. Did you Did you watch? Yeah, I tweeted it earlier today. Like he's just <laughs> losing his mind. Well, during the, during the a relay. Full, it's, a, it's like a full body performance. He's fabulous. I know. 
Um, so kudos to Rowdy Gaines. Uh, kudos to Flora Duffy, the Bermudian native who mm-hmm. won the triathlon. Yeah, that was a cool story. Um, who else? Oh, we, let's did talk you about see, this Ryan Murphy thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Did you see that? Like the after uh, Rylev uh, beat Murphy in uh, the was it the two hundred? I think he beat him in both. Both, 100 and 200. Yeah. So I think it was after both the 200, though, that uh, Murphy, they got on a dais together and Murphy s- said something to the point of, I wish I could know. I don't know that this was a fair race, mm-hmm. basically. I don't know that Rylev is clean um, because of the ROC thing that you're talking about. Was there anything else that he knows that we don't know, though? That's the question. So what have you heard? Do you think, do you think swimming is clean? I'm not close enough to swimming anymore to know for a fact or to have any kind of educated opinion on that. Um, but I would suspect that there's probably some bad actors. You okay. know, I think when you're watching the Tour de France or you're watching Olympic track and field or you're watching swimming, I think it's naive to, to assume or presuppose that it's 100% clean because there's always gonna be people who are trying to get around that kind of stuff. So, but I don't know to what extent you know, there's any kind of doping going on. I have no idea. So uh, I just, yeah. I just don't have an informed opinion on it. And what would it be? But would it be I think that, doping? Would but it, I think that, that like, listen, you know, and I don't know Ryan Murphy either, but for him to say in a press conference that he, he doesn't really accuse Rylev, but he kind of in an in a backhanded him. way is he kind of accusing him. He does accuse him. So it makes he me says think he doesn't, that, but he does. Is that just because the RO, like the Russians found an end run to? Can, to nonetheless show up at the Olympics under this ROC thing? Or is there something specific to Rylev that he knows Rylev was doing, or he's heard rumors that we haven't heard about something that was going on with him? Well, I think it makes there, me think there must be more to this than just like, I'm pissed that the Russians were are here when they were actually banned. Yeah, there is something specific to Rylev. Rylev is the guy that beat him twice. Yeah, right. <laughs> so of course, in his mind, he's like, wait, so you I could say, I well, got it's sour, gra- it's sour right, grapes, right, yeah, or maybe yeah. he's like, you know, this guy's been getting away with this shit for a long time. I don't know. It's possible. I, I mean, know. the one thing I look at when I think of performance enhancing drugs, I, I think of body changes and muscles and Rylev was surprisingly skinnier than almost everybody up there. And uh, and Murphy is like chiseled from stone now. That R- Murphy has quite a physique, but, yeah. but the thing is doping doesn't really work that way. Not blood doping, right? Um, yeah, No, yeah. blood doping doesn't work that way. Yeah. I, w- I would be surprised if it was blood doping where you're injecting yourself with other people's blood, but EPO, you know, basically these things allow you to train harder and longer so it, it, it you know it creates a, a more robust training cycle. So it's not necessarily like um, something that's going to make you huge in in terms of. It's not like steroids where you're muscular. Right. You're trying to improve your body's ability to metabolize oxygen for right. you know energy. I mean, and and some people are more ectomorphic than other people. Right. So Ryan Murphy, I think, is just genetically predisposed to look like you know a bodybuilder comparatively, but just because the other guy Rylev is skinny and, right. and svelte and doesn't and has more of an endomorphic um, disposition is not a reason to think he must not be doping. Either. No, no, right, yeah. right. I, I mean, Murphy's a stud, he, yeah, who knows what Rylev is doing. I, I'm not on the camp though, just because uh, Fogel's film is amazing, but I'm not here to think that every Russian athlete is no. doping. I mean, it's, I it's, a, it's a, it's a, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You know, I, I just, I think that that is, you know, that everyone has their internal, I mean, I don't think every, you can't, you can't make that judgment. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, 
there was some anger for losing and it, it had to be something in there. Maybe. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Um, who knows? But that's what we're talking about. Stuff we don't fully know about. <laughs> yes. We're just, we're just spinning opinions on stuff <laughs> yeah. you know, in a very half-baked way here. <laughs> no, it's, it's three quarters <laughs> yeah. baked. Um, there is one other thing that you wanted to discuss that we should discuss, and that is the new fitness fad oh, right. that has yeah, erupted yeah, yeah. in uh, Tokyo. This, this is year. wild. Yes. Um, should I go get them? I'll go get them. Yeah, go, get, go yeah. grab those things. So basically... Every Olympiad, there's some crazy, you know, technique or training philosophy that emanates out of it that that becomes like a story. Um, in the previous Olympics, it was cupping. Like it, you saw all the athletes walking around with the uh, the kind of dark circles on their back and on their shoulders. This year, it's something called katsu. Katsu, katsu, katsu. K a a t s u. Yes, which is basically. Um, this, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a blood flow restrictor yep. um, type thing, like a bands that you put around your extremities to restrict blood flow that when used in training, stimulate your, um, your hormonal system and your circulatory system yep. to produce a result that mimics training. Right, so it's yes. The That's idea, a really bad way of describing. The idea it, is but. to to make the circulatory system more elastic. So it's mm -hmm. basically you're getting you're increasing elasticity of your capillaries, which allows by restricting blood flow and then letting it go. So it's like it's like thirty seconds restricted, five seconds let it flow, and back and forth. What you're doing is you're creating elasticity there, which triggers the hormonal system mm -hmm. and a lymphatic response to get rid of. Um, waste basically, uh, metabolic waste, lactic acid, you can flush that out. Um, it's essentially a tourniquet. It's basically a turn. So originally the- But it doesn't completely restrict the blood flow. You're not trying to cut it off completely. Right, so it is a, it is a tourniquet. They used to be just bands that you could use and maybe train that way. In reality, the katsu, these bands here that we have that are, that now there's a, a brand called Katsu Training um, that Steven Munatones is mm -hmm. uh, involved with, who is basically runs Wowza, the Open Water Swimming Association, yeah. is the number one chronicler of all things open water swimming. I've known Steve forever and I did yeah. not know anything about this so Katsu this, thing. So in 2001, he met the guy who was using Katsu just in tourniquet form, just in bands mm -hmm. uh, manually with you know 20 people. One of them, he he actually Dr. Satu, this Dr. Japanese Satu. guy, and Steve, I guess, is fluent in Japanese. Yes, apparently, and so he went and met with him in 2001, I guess it was, and at that time, there was a thought that you know, as you age, you muscles atrophy and bone density uh, diminishes, and that's mm -hmm. just the way it goes, and there's nothing you can do about it. Weights help to some degree. That's why they they ask uh, older people to get into the gym and do some weight resistance stuff mm -hmm. and machines to make sure you don't lose bone density. He proved with these bands and his techniques in an 104 year old woman, I believe it was, he built bone density in a 104 year old using mm -hmm. blood flow restriction. And so, uh, you know, Steven got involved with him and they developed a way basically using kind of a blood pressure cuff technology with air mm -hmm. and pressure. A, a way to make it automated so that you can use it. And what Steven, uh, a lot of the reporting, there's been 
Futterman, uh, Matt Futterman at the New York right. Times did a great story. This was the, the so first story. Podcast, former podcast yes. guest, always qualify, yes. Matt Futterman. Yes, friend uh, of the pod. Yeah, he wrote this, who who basically runs the sports desk, does he not? What's no, his job does specifically? Not, but uh, he, he is an editor and editor now he's mostly reporting these days. Yeah. But, um, he wrote this yeah. great article for the Times, yeah. a hot fitness trend among Olympians, blood flow restriction. And he talks all about this, which is, I, I just, I don't know how I never heard about this. I started looking into it. Um, ben Greenfield actually did a whole podcast episode about this like a year ago mm-hmm. and he had Steve on as a guest. So yeah. if you wanna learn more, check that out. Um, but but so Steve told me that it's it's actually better for recovery. And so he mm-hmm. sent them to me right before I did the Goggins, you know, four by four, 48, cause he knew I had problems with my feet. And, and, and so I use them then in between and I use How did them. this not show up as a show and tell earlier then? I, I brought them once and you then- did? Yes, and then we forgot or I forgot, I forget what okay. it was. Um, but so I use them before and after, but mo- mostly after. And he says that the reason you do that is because it allows so so people ice usually if after mm-hmm. a run if you have bad joints you ice after playing basketball you ice ice has been this thing that everybody tells you to do um physical therapists tell you doctors tell you he's saying ice only it, what ice does is it 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 it, it sends the blood back and, and, and increases some sort of circulation mm-hmm. or restricts or increases circulation in some places and, but he said it's very superficial the blood will only flush out very close to the skin and it'll, it'll stay in the area. What this does is it allows actual blood flow to restrict and then, and then re- flow again. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to really recycle the blood, get that metabolic waste out of there. And so basically what happened was in 2001, he met up with them, he created this thing and, and still it was used to the general public, but gradually Steve got more and more athletes interested. What turned the tide was he got the Navy SEALs interested. Mm-hmm. And so Navy SEALs started using it. From there, some NFL players started using it. The first Olympian to use it was Carmelo Anthony, the basketball player right. in 2016. He started to use it um, and that, and it leaked out from there. And so now it's basically every, I mean, every single uh, sport has someone All using it. All these professional sports franchises yeah. are are using this. Martial and artists I've there. No, it's yeah. like, I don't know. I was today years old when I found out about this. It's, a, it's the new thing. And he's saying it also helps with sleep. Mm-hmm. So he, what he told me today was basically if you put it on right before sleep or an hour before, it will, uh, around your arms, it will trigger a parasympathetic response in your body and it'll help you get more into sleep. Instead mm-hmm. of melatonin, you can use katsu. I've never tried it for sleep, right. I'm gonna try it for sleep tonight. But the other thing he said was that it's set in such demand, people are calling him from Tokyo <laughs> to get this it? Japanese inspired product shipped to him. And they basically, they, they are like, they need to find product, mm. luckily, his main manufacturer in Korea was smart enough to stockpile uh, microchips. He saw COVID happen and he knew they were gonna, there was gonna be a run on microchips somehow. Oh, wow. Like the one guy in the world that knew. So and, there's yeah. this, in the Futterman piece, yeah. uh, there's also this character, Dr. Jim Stray Gunderson. Yes. Who has become a big advocate of this. He's a physician and a sports medicine researcher who's worked with Olympic organizations in the US and in Norway. And he was, the guy who pioneered the live high, train low approach, which which is this idea that um, the best way to take advantage of altitude training is to live at super high altitude and then kind of go down the mountain and train mm-hmm. at sea level and then sleep, you know, high, and that's how you get 
the boost of oxygen carrying red blood okay. cells, et cetera. Um, but apparently uh, Stray Gunderson gets excited about Katsu, uh, trained with Sato over the last decade, becomes this Katsu master and essentially is quoted in this article as saying, you can get the benefits of swimming 10,000 yards by swimming maybe a thousand, hmm. which goes to the point of Michael Andrew, Michael Andrew yeah. because Michael becomes this proponent of it um, in his you know, unique training um, philosophy and practices. But Andrew also, what Futterman says in this article is that um, he started experimenting with, with BFR blood flow restriction five years ago at the urging of Chris Morgan, a quote unquote veteran swim coach. Chris is like an old friend of mine. Right, right, right. Remember why I, I shared about going to the uh, Monofin World Championships? Yes, like he yes. was on that team. That's how I got to know Chris. Chris has gone on to um, coach uh, European national teams. And then he was an assistant coach at Harvard. Like he's a very, he has a lot of really cool um, training philosophies and methodologies, a good dude. Hmm. And maybe we can get Chris to come on and, and talk about Katsu a little bit more. Cause it sounds like Chris is sort of at the, the bleeding edge of blood flow restriction. I certainly want to know more about this. It sounds a little bit like a panacea to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, can't, uh, you know, get around the fact that, that, some of these athletes were were using this uh, in preparation for Tokyo. He said it's been the word idea of is mouth. like wearing yeah. them on your arms while you're swimming or while you're in right. the gym lifting so, weights. So he was so talking to Munatones on my drive here. Actually, he kind of he didn't he didn't suggest that uh, Futterman got it wrong or anybody got it wrong. He thinks all these athletes did their job well, but. His, he, his, his, his perspective is, about the is that recovery is the thing. Mm -hmm. Recovery is really where it, it's going to have the best effect because you don't need to wear these bands and swim. Like swimming mm -hmm. is training for swimming, not right. wearing my bands. He's saying the bands should be worn in between. So sprinters use it. Shikari, who couldn't, you know, because she yeah. got disqualified after smoking uh, marijuana, right. she uses them. Mm -hmm. um, Let me see that. Slide that over here. Yeah. Gatlin uses them, the sprinter. So uh, you Justin have, Gatlin. But they, them. they, um, you put you put like so, so I put it around fill, my but what is this like you blow air it into connects, it it connects with this guy so there's a pump and then part this, of it yeah it connects with this thing and then and it fills it with you cycle it and you hear that right. it fills it with air yeah well you know what during the photo session we'll uh, we'll put some katsu on <laughs> yeah I feel like an IV drug user. That's what it, it is. It's like it's a legit, you know, tourniquet, right? Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know how this works. I'm definitely doing this wrong. It looks good on you. Though. We need an expert on here. No, I'll show I'm you. I'm still getting over the fact that you've you've had this for a while and I knew nothing about it. I'm getting over Despite the fact that I've had show this for a while and I could have broken the story before Futterman and I, yeah. I missed my opportunity because <laughs> I didn't see you it. You did. You did. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Bad reporting. Bad reporting. So... Are we ready to pivot to listener questions? Let's see some anything listener else? questions, yeah, bud. let's do that. Anything else? You want to say anything else about the Olympics? I mean, you know, look, I love the Olympics. We could talk about this forever. It is weird watching it with no spectators. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, it's just, it's a strange time, but I'm glad that, you know, these athletes are having this experience. It must be surreal for them to compete without audiences. Mm. The whole thing is all very strange. And I just, I love all things Olympics. I grew up with that Olympic dream myself and I've always just, it's always just held a really special place in my heart. So I am a, um, 
I am a, a glorious kind of like fan and optimist around all things Olympics, while also knowing the IOC and all these organizations are completely messed up. I grew up knowing I had no chance at ever being yeah. in the Olympics, but uh, I've always enjoyed watching them. Well, you know what? I, I, I love the camaraderie. I love the different mm -hmm. nations. I love the international appeal, the sure. cultural exchange. You know, in this, it, it, it's so, it really inspires me to see the cultural exchange, to see the, the countries coming together. Um, and this year, I've loved the hurdles out of nowhere. Like, yeah. I, I freeze frame, like when you see a couple of them go over and then the one's chasing. And then, you know, when they're the ones behind are over, and then I pause it to see, and everyone's off the ground all at once. And it's just like pretty cool. the photography. Um, and speaking of photography, I just want to give a shout out uh, to a photographer I've worked with before, um, Donald Morale. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, I've worked with him on a story for, uh, for ESPN. Um, he's a longtime Sports Illustrated photographer, a great prone paddler based out of San Diego area. And he has the best uh, Instagram feed from Tokyo. He's shooting for Nat Geo. And the stuff he's putting out there is just mm. unparalleled. So I want to link to that. Yeah, I'm looking at his Instagram right yeah. now. It's pretty it's stunning. Could be Donald Morale. I, I forgot yeah, two to L's. Yeah. Donald Donald Miral M I R A L L E yep. however you pronounce that this picture of Caleb Dressel with the traps oh my god <laughs> I mean he's got pictures god, of fencing that's incredible pictures of These, cycling the underwater photos are are amazing so he uh, he explains in one of his posts he was one of the innovators of underwater swimming photos so he would mm -hmm. go down there and set camera traps before they had the track down and now there's a track mm -hmm. that everyone can have access to mm -hmm. but um, he would go down there and set trap set camera traps with a couple other guys that are innovating it back you know you know I guess 20 years ago yeah. and so he's uh, he's special that's cool yep how do you feel about surfing and skateboarding and all the new stuff? <laughs> I'll tell you there? this. I love basketball. Three on three basketball should not be an Olympic sport. Yeah. Like I'd rather see four square or, uh, you know, like kickball, uh, dodgeball. <laughs> I, I'm not into this, this X games meets the Olympics thing. I've You're never really into been into it. Really? I like, I think snowboarding is a great Olympic sport. I'm not so sure about skateboarding and BMX. I mean, how can you differentiate then? How can you be okay with snowboarding and not okay with skateboarding? You or know, surfing? I'm okay with surfing too. To be honest with you, as a, an Olympic right, sport, you're just changing your. Uh, I don't know. How dare you change your mind in real time, Adam? I it's, I have an inner Tucker Carlson that just gets after me constantly. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where you draw the line with this. Obviously, not everything shooting should be included in the Olympics. Shooting, well, shooting. shooting has been in the Olympics forever. I mean, it's true. It start if you. I think to me, the benchmark is always like thinking about the original spirit of the Olympiad yeah. and what it was intended to be. Which was what? And I think you have to respond to culture. And when like everything is fluid, just like language isn't fixed. Like these things are always changing. And I know, so, but I'm a huge baseball fan and none of the real professional baseball players are playing. So why is baseball in the Olympics? I don't know, it's weird like that, right? And soccer the same way so than the men's With side. basketball, you get the NBA guys, right. but with baseball, you don't. And I don't think the Premier League guys are playing mm. in the soccer side I don't think so I don't think they're getting the premier like it's really? not the world cup team that's over there it's oh, not the different, same different players I don't not in every case yeah. yeah yeah it's weird how that works it is weird ROC <laughs> it's the I ROC I can't get over the yeah the ROC thing <laughs> 
You don't want that. You want them really properly I just, banned. Like I'm such an old man that I remember the pain. Uh, like I knew people who made the 80 team and how challenging that was right. when they then it, when it was boycotted and they couldn't go. Well, that's so now probably what boycott, it was. Now there's a boycott and they still go. It's not a boycott. It's a ban. I mean, a ban. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, but the point being, if you're an athlete, you don't get to go. Right. Yeah. Um, but they get to go. Do you watch the Winter Olympics the same way you watch the summer? Not as keenly. Me neither. Yeah, but maybe I, I think I will this year. I you will? It. Yeah. There's more people dressed head to toe in Lycra in the Winter Olympics, which I think is interesting. Our swimsuits are, are not there, great. The, the, there's a lot of Lycra in the Summer there Olympics. Is. There's not a great, our swimsuits have not been the most well, stylish. Here, I mean, why, our costumes are not great. No. Like, Liberia has Why does stuff. Ralph Lauren get appointed to design the US Olympic team uniform every time. Because we it's couldn't like, find Levi Strauss. Are we all like, <laughs> is, the, is the US Olympic team all living in Montauk? Yeah, I want, <laughs> I want a 75 year need, old man designing my clothes. We need some freshness, <laughs> we I do. think, breathed into we this do. whole thing. We need like, we right. need a design. We're going down the tubes here. Let's get okay. to some listener questions. Let's do it. Justin from Minnesota. Hey, Adam and Rich, this is Justin from Minnesota. So my question for you guys is you often hear that, you know, living an examined life is important and doing the work is important as well. But what is the work? What is doing the work? Uh, I'm struggling with this as I try and find uh, a way to, you know, reflect more and look at where I've been, what I've done and what I want to do. And I want to know what the work is and what, how, where to begin so that I can find a path forward and feel like I'm living a more purposeful life. I recently had twins and it's been a seismic shift in the way things go in life, as you can imagine. And so I want to do the work on myself to figure out how I can be a good father, but also still achieve the goals and dreams that I had pre-fatherhood, which is just, as I put it, been put on hold for the time being. So any advice on what uh, to do for the work, to go deep on oneself, uh, journaling, et cetera, what to journal about, all that kind of good stuff, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do. Love the podcast. Love you guys. Talk to you later. How Van Nystad is that question? It's pretty... Essential. I love you know, it. It's I, essentialist. It, yeah, it's a great, yeah. this might be the best question ever asked. What is doing this? the work? I love it. Because you hear it all the time. You yeah. hear, well, he did the work. Well, look at him, he did the work. Or that guy's doing the work. Mm. He's able to do this because he put the work in. And I found myself asking, what is this work <laughs> that everyone is doing? I don't understand. <laughs> all right. And you feel like adult, like you don't wanna yeah. ask because you don't wanna look stupid. Right. But no one is very detailed ever or specific about what it is that that person actually did. So let's try to answer that. Um, I think there's no right or wrong answer. There is no one way, there is no one work. I think the work is going to be different for every person depending upon your circumstances and, um, you know what it is that you're 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 trying to unlock or reckon with in mm. your past or in your present but i think overall the basic idea around the work quote unquote the work is engaging in some form of inward journey mm. some form of some practice of self examination that's motivated by a genuine intent to better understand yourself 
objectively, honestly, so that you can have a greater sense of awareness around not just what you're doing, but why you're doing the things that you're doing, why you tell the stories that you continue to tell yourself, why you continue to repeat a certain behavior pattern, even though you know it's moving you in the wrong direction. And I think the process of doing that, the specific means by which you kind of unearth your unconscious mind or confront your biases or get objectively honest with your past, is through a variety of different modalities. It can be seeing a therapist. It could be seeing, it could be psychoanalysis or it could be group therapy with a bunch of guys. It could be a 12 step program. It could be um, journaling. There was a specific question that Justin asked about what kind of journaling? Well, you know, I think the kind of journaling that you're more likely to do, like it doesn't have to be any one way you could do morning pages out of the artist's way where it's literally mumbo jumbo just to kind of um, you know, clear the cobwebs in your mind. Uh, or it could be very intentional, like trying to remember things that happened to you in the past so that you can make sense of them. There is no right or wrong way. The only kind of objective correctness in all of it is that you are trying, like that you are moving inward in some way that feels uh, appropriate for you to make sense of your interior life. Um, It could be reading books. It could be having an accountability partner. It could mean having a mentor who can reflect back to you, uh, you know, the uncomfortable truth of of your behavior. It could be, uh, it could involve creating a gratitude list or any number of self care practices. So, I don't know how helpful that is. I don't I certainly don't want to leave Justin more confused. Right. But I think it it just means commitment to one thing or a number of things that are putting you into greater contact with and understanding of what makes you tick and why. So that you can rewire whatever um you know errant pathways are are you know, continuing to lead you into directions you don't want to go and finding healthier outlets for your energy that will set your life on a better trajectory. What do you think? I'm I'm trying to figure out where his headspace is in terms of asking this question, like um, to find a path forward and feel like you're living a more purposeful life. So does that mean he's doing work or do, doing a job that he, he's not feeling connected to? Is he mm. not feeling fully connected to the purpose in his life? Cause I mean, I think there's nothing more purpose than two babies that showed up on yeah. your doorstep. Well, that's the immediate and, need and so, like, that yeah. has to be addressed. But I think he wants to connect something else to that. Cause they do feed each other, right? If you yeah. feel fulfilled in one aspect of your life, it can make you feel fulfilled in the other. But my sense is that the twins thing is so overwhelming that there's this lurking fear that he's never gonna be able to uh, you know, execute on his other goals. And you don't want to become the person that just like is, you know, doing a job just because, you know, just to pay bills because mm-hmm. bills need to be paid because sure. they do, especially now. But um, so I guess that's where my head goes. I think you're right in terms of like, just the whole idea is just looking inward. Maybe that's the first step, you know, doing the work can be a meditation practice. It could be 10 minutes every morning, sit down before you talk, 
and and just sit quietly for ten minutes. It's hard to do that when you right. have two so twins. So this guy's got twins. Yeah, this so that's has got to be monopolizing, you yeah. know, his yeah. time. So yeah. he's not going to be able to say, no. "Well, I'm going to wake up and the first part no. of my day is going to be quiet." Like clearly, you're living your life. I, I when you have, when you have young twins, you're living your life reactively, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is not great. Like right. I think it's more about like how to shift that valence from being reactive to proactive. But understanding that when you have twins. It just is what it is, man. Yeah. And it's not always gonna be that way. And learning how to like flow with it rather than resist it because you know, that resistance isn't gonna change your reality. It's just gonna make you more miserable because your life isn't meeting some, you know, fantastical expectation that you've set for it. Just being okay with what is and carving out whatever time you do have or those moments in between everything else that you're doing to you know, find some kind of practice that will help give you a little bit of peace, clarity, and objectivity. I think accepting what is- That's a huge part Is like of the it. first step, yeah. right? Like to me, like you gotta accept where you are and, and, and who you are first. And that's always the first step. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's ways of doing it quickly, you know, anything like going to therapy or going to a group therapy or journaling, all that stuff is time intensive and yeah, of course. time is at a premium right now. So accepting self, um, maybe, maybe coming up with some sort of uh, habit or, or pattern that you can do with the kids, like get them into a dual stroller and go for a run or something mm-hmm. like that for even 15, 20 minutes and just speak Walk. your mind into a recorder. Anything like that you can do at the same time. Things like that, just just focusing the lens internally for some chunk of the day and doesn't have to be a long part of your day um, is a good way to start. Mm-hmm. You never know. And in those go. overwhelmed moments, I think having a, a, a gratitude practice is important. Just write Perfect. down five things you're grateful for Every to day. try to remember the big picture. That's a and, great thing. You could do a, that every day. Yeah, what a blessing it is that you have two healthy twins. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's a great question. It is a good question. I hope we answered it sufficiently. I don't think we did, but we're gonna move on now. Okay. We're gonna do <laughs> a, a less, well, just a more, just a different type of question. This is a different kind of question, isn't it? Yeah, Jess from The Open Road. Hey guys, um, my name is Jess. I am from Illinois originally, but I'm a travel nurse. And so I actually was last travel nursing in North Carolina and then I'm headed to Maine next week. So. I was curious as to a um, couple things. So top five bands from each of you, and then one or the other top five songs or top five albums. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about that. I think that would be really interesting to hear. Anyway, um, thank you so much and take care. I will answer this question, but off the top of my head, but I don't know that I, I'm, I'm glad that Jess thinks this will be interesting. I don't know if anybody else would think it was interesting. Come on, that depends what you say. Listen, you know, I was born in 1966. I grew up in the, you know, 70s and 80s. I think everybody, you know, when you when you go through those adolescent years, those early teen years, I don't know, 14 through 18 or 19, something gets imprinted on you. The music that you're listening at that time becomes your favorite music, and it's very that becomes like sort of anchored in you. Hmm. I don't think it changes much. You know, I grew up listening to, you know, I mean, the big one for me is R.E.M. I loved R.E.M. That changed what I thought music could be. I fell in love with that. Hmm. When I was in college, I listened to a lot of 
English beat and Joy Division yes. and and uh, you know kind of new wave type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the Smiths. The Smiths were a big one. Yes, with Hank Wise yeah. and the Smiths on the pool deck. Um, a bunch of like ska and a yes. little bit of punk at the time. Fishbone. Fishbone. I saw Fishbone in concert many times. Fishbone, yeah. Baby. Uh, but I love Wilco. I mean, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is like a perfect album. I love Radiohead, Kid A, OK Computer are mm-hmm. unbelievable. For REM, I, I still love their earlier records, Murmur, Reckoning. I just think they're genius. Um, and if you're gonna have the conversation about best bands and best albums, I mean, you gotta throw the Beatles in there. Definitely. Sergeant Peppers. Um, I love Jeff Buckley. I think his album Grace mm. is one that finds its way onto my recurring playlist. I don't know, man, what about you? None of my top five would be bands that, uh, except for maybe one would be, or two, that would be bands that I like, I grew up, that they were my favorite band at one point mm. and then never stopped. The only the exception would be my favorite, which is Bob Marley and the Whalers, um, was my favorite the minute I heard Bob and then has remained the top, I think. Yeah. Uh, most important band for me. But other than that, I had like, my first favorite band was Talking Heads. Then I got into Bruce Mm. Springsteen. And then like later I got into hip hop. And now I'm mostly listening to jazz, to be honest with you. Uh, But since the the question, I will give you my top five bands. Bob Marley and the Wailers, David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix, John Coltrane would be my favorite. Uh, jazz artists. And then of course you got to put the Beatles in there because they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, groundbreaking Um, songs. I would do Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan, Exodus by Bob Marley, Heroes by Bowie, Voodoo Child by Hendrix, and I Love Supreme. These these selections are indicative of somebody who's maybe out of you know, touch five with his to, own generation. Five to 10 years older than you actually are. Yeah. I'm, I've, I'm this isn't out of really touch with my- This is really a squarely uh, Gen X. Are you even Gen X? I am. What S- year were you born? 71. Right, so I'm on the older, I'm on the older uh, spectrum. I'm right in the Gen middle X. of Gen X, but yeah. you know, that doesn't mean, so my, what I was trying to say is that my, I'm not one of those people that has top five bands. Mm-hmm. I, I love all music and uh, I love world music. I love rock. I love all kinds. So for me, but if you had to pin me down and I had to pick my top five bands, like in the spirit of this, that's what mm. I would say. But in reality, um, I love all music. I don't have a limit. And uh, it used to be that I did, but I don't really anymore. And so I'm kind of open to all great music. Right. Um, and uh my the genre I listen to most is jazz, to be honest with you. Should we just, you know, ditch everything that we've been doing and just talk about like music and movies on the podcast from now on out? You know what? Just culture, become I'm, become some version of Chuck Klosterman. I'm gonna wait until the next Google Doc and find out what I'm talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> because you wanna talk about whatever I wanna talk about, Adam, don't you? Uh, no, that's boundaries. not true. We had a whole thing. Do on the Q- work. I, Are you doing the work, Adam? Of course not. <laughs> My whole philosophy is don't believe everything you feel, which I know is bad. That's probably not the good uh, philosophy, no, but it is my that, I don't think that that's bad. I think the caveat or the corollary to that, that I would say is, is that emotions are your body and your interior consciousness trying to tell you something, mm-hmm. right? You can, heed that message, but I think we often over-index on those emotions and and then, you know, kind of make it all about that. And the truth is, 
a lot of challenging emotions feel like they're gonna kill you, I'm gonna mm-hmm. die. But emotions are always changing. That's the one thing that you can always bank on. It will always change, will always change. So feelings are just like, I, the, right. the sort of AA corollary is like feelings are just feelings. Right, that, that and You don't I, have to like, they don't have, they feel like, you know, they feel so real, but essentially like you have a choice how much you need to engage them. That's, well, that's the whole idea with the stoicist versus this, you know, this new gen that worships mental health, mm-hmm. uh, you know, preservation. Whereas that's where I depart from that because I actually think there's a lot of, you know, I see a lot of people who are so into their mental health and self-care and this and that, and they just become paralyzed by it. Right, I and, can't go to work today. Right. I have a, I'm feeling right. a little bit blue or right. whatever. And it's know, like, at know. some point I'm not, Denigrating you have to re- have you have to you have to issues, but. no you have to reconcile right. appropriately reconcile responsible care for mental health with the importance of of developing a little bit of emotional resiliency. Yes. So yes. Yes. All right. Let's do the last question. Last question. I have this laptop here, and I keep putting my finger on the screen, oh, thinking yeah. it's an iPad. You iPad wanted to go to laptops. Today. I know. Well, because it's just better with opening links and there were some articles I want to see. Okay, let's hear from Bev. Bev. Hi, Rich and Adam. This is Bev from Denver, Colorado. I've had a long running career that includes three Bostons while in my 50s. My first Boston was the year of the bomb and the only marathon I didn't finish. Anyway, I'm 66 years old now and I'm having difficulty accepting the fact that I'm not as fast as I was and my feet can't take the longer distances. My question is how to deal with the hard facts of aging and still set realistic goals that excite me for the future. Some days it's a real emotional and physical challenge. Thanks for any insights. Bye. Thank you, Bev. I feel a little insecure trying to answer this question given the fact that Bev is like 11 years older than me. Mm. So she probably has more wisdom and experience about aging than I do. But my instinct, my first, you know, gut reaction to that question is that comparison is the thief of joy. And I think it's um, unrealistic and unfair to compare yourself at 66 to the way that you used to be able to run. I don't know how back into, you know, far back into your history, you're, you're casting your gaze, but essentially it goes to the answer to the previous question, yeah. which is about acceptance. Like right. first, accept that you're 66 years old right now. Like let go of this idea, stop measuring yourself against where you used to be or think you should be, right? right. Like you're 66, there's certain realities about that. Right. You're you just not, you you're not probably be able to... share my musical taste, for instance. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, I would suspect <laughs> that she does. So you could talk about <laughs> Hendrix and Coltrane, um, but, the idea that you're comparing yourself and judging yourself, like you're 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 creating you're creating trauma for yourself by judging yourself against a younger version. I don't know what age are you looking at? Mm. 25, 45, 50? It's unclear, but essentially you're setting yourself up to be disappointed because you're 66 and you're not going to be able to run as fast as you did when you were in your 50s or 40s, clearly. So, I think the best way to like reckon with all of that is to make peace with it, to train where you're at and focus on, you know, where where you can find the joy in all of it. Mm. 
Um, you could still set goals and those goals should be, you know, difficult, something you, you're gonna strive for, but also realistic given the, given the fact that, you know, you're 66 and just try to be the best 66 year old version of yourself because comparing yourself to a past self, again, is a comparison that robs you of, of joy. It's a thief of joy. And honestly, like, you know, truth talk for a minute here. Does anybody give a shit how fast you run at 66? No one cares. The only person who probably cares is you. Right. And it's important that you care, that's great. But um, the weight that you're putting on your times and all of that, I think is playing into this heaviness that you're experiencing around running. So why not alleviate yourself of that pressure? Go zone two, baby. Go zone two and leave the times behind. Right. Like holding on to, I can't run as fast as I used to. Like, is it worth it holding on to that for the the kind of frustration that it's causing you? No. The consternation? What about running makes you happy? And orienting your goal around that, I think is a better aim of your intentionality. Love it. Um, if it's a performance, if it's if it's performance that gets you out of bed in the morning and excited, then again, you can set a goal. There's nothing wrong with setting a performance goal, but don't set the goal you would have set for yourself at age at age 40, you know. Just remember if you sign up for that 10k right now, there are a bunch of athletes running around an oval that can do a 10k in 24 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. It's shocking. So, you know, what are we talking about here? Like, what is it that got you falling in love with running to begin with? Mm. And maybe find other ways that are not performance related to, you know, find joy in it. Like the travel, like going to a race that's in a cool place or, you know, training with a community of people or meeting new people, et cetera. There's so much, there's so much richness in the sport of running that it doesn't all have to be about like PRs. I got two words for you, Bev. Katsu. Katsu, that's right. She's gonna be all about Katsu. And swim run. Yeah, but that's gonna but that's, get her that, all excited that, 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 that maybe she words? can maybe she can PR her marathon <laughs> if she starts putting tourniquets all over her body. Katsu, she's gonna, get the katsu. She's gonna call up Steve Munitonos. Get, get, on, get on the Katsu and then go to wild swim run camp where they get uh, women of all ages together and do swim run camps where you can um, not worry about your time so much because you're going to also be integrating some open water swimming. And believe me, there are women of all ages. There are definitely women in your age There's group. no indication in Bev's question that she has any interest in swimming whatsoever. Did I mention swim run? Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, am I not You had to, to bring in swim advice. run. It's my advice. You had to bring swim run into this. Even when the podcast has nothing to do with swim run. There goes Adam bringing up swim run again. Yeah. You're just, you're just a shill for, you're a shill for big swim run. I'm saying- For the low tide boys you are, can't do are marath- sending you checks. <laughs> you can't do a marathon. Have you thought of yeah. swim run? That's all I'm saying. Okay. Do we answer this question? I, I think, think we so. need to end this. All right, let's put a cap on it. Let's land this plane. Let's do that. How do you feel? I feel like I, did, did I feel we, like do, I didn't deliver on these questions. <laughs> you did. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, but you know it's an emotion, and I'll get over it. Right. It's impermanent. Feelings are just feelings. Feelings are just feelings. Right? These Olympics are going to. Do you end. need to take a mental health day? <laughs> 
do I look like that's I founding? No, like yeah, if you would like the next roll on, I get a phone call in the morning. Rich, I can't, I can't record today. Oh, I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it. I've been, I've that, been journaling too that much. Feel, that feels snarky. What I didn't say I, it. You said no, it. No, I'm, I'm reflecting on myself. Like I literally, <laughs> we do need greater appreciation for the nuances of mental health in the workplace and. In I feel like between the two of us, you're more into the like mental health. Uh, camp. I am more into the, you know, try not to think about it camp. Yeah. It's a challenge yeah. because you do need emotional resilience. You need to develop the capacity for showing up when things are hard and you don't want to show up. So where do you strike that balance? That's that's really where the question lies. I think when the Jews were wandering the desert for 40 years, there were the kvetchers mm -hmm. and there were the people like me that are just like, try not to think about it. <laughs> right. I was a try not to think about it Jew. Yeah. I was not a kvetcher, kvetcher <laughs> Jew. I was a try not to think about a Jew. That's uh, what I am. I'm the try not to think about a Jew. A very specific type. Subset. Yeah. I'm a subset of the desert right. people. You don't want to sit around and talk about it, all the permutations. Not only do I want not want to talk about it, I don't <laughs> no, want to hear you no, talk about no, it. <laughs> no one wants to hear it anyway. All right. Exactly. I don't know what we're doing. Let's, let's end this. All right. Okay. Listen. Uh, Thank you, Adam. That was fun. Thank I don't know you. what we did today, but we did something. We wore tie-dye. Um, you did. Yes. If you would like your, your question answered in a haphazard and perhaps not helpful way, <laughs> leave us a voicemail at 424-235-4626. Uh, yes. Show notes on the episode page at richroll.com. Links to all the stuff we talked about, like Matt Futterman's article in the New York Times, et cetera, are all on the website. You can check that out there dive deeper into everything we discussed today. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. And uh, that's it. Call, that's call, leave us leave us some questions, guys. Yeah, leave us some good ones. Yeah. Um, I wanna thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music, calendaring, uh, I don't know, taking care of the guest, like he does all kinds of stuff here. Lots of stuff. Thank he you, He stops Jason. people from sawing outside our doorway. <laughs> he does. Yes. He's Johnny on the spot. When there's a noise outside, he runs outside and rectifies it. Post haste. Post haste. Uh, Blake Curtis for videoing and editing the podcast. It's a lot of work. Thank you, Blake. He's the one who makes all of this look so cool. Uh, Jessica Miranda for graphics. Today we have um, Grayson Grayson Wilder on portraits. Thank you, Grayson. Georgia Whaley for copywriting. DK for advertiser relationships. Theme music by my boys Tyler Trapper and Harry. Appreciate all of you. I don't take your attention for granted. And I'll see you back here in a couple of days with another awesome episode. We have Courtney DeWalters up this week. Just yes. went up. I think who's going up in a couple? I think it's Eric Adams. Really, New York City's next mayor. Incredible. Yeah, man. Runners, mayors. All kinds of people. You know? Bruce Friedrich, clean Bruce meat. Friedrich, <laughs> out of work journalists. You get them all. <laughs> all right, man. I need a two week break from you. I'll see you in two weeks. Are we in a timeout right now? No. We're not in a timeout. Well, I guess we are in a timeout. Yeah. We're gonna hit we're gonna hit timeout and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm gonna talk to other people while we're Are apart. you? You're not yeah. allowed. That's not part of our contract. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Love you. You too, man. Peace. Plants.
Done. Boom.